does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. I had a conversation last night with Jimmy, a friend of mine that listens to the program, and I said, here's a question for you. Which do you prefer? And actually, I would probably, this would be a good, like, listener poll. I think most people by now know how to get a hold of me and send me their answer. But I'm curious, when the show begins at, what, what are we doing? Um, I can't I can't hear you in my headset. I'm convinced that you're not on the board properly. That's just a guess. He is. Okay. I can't hear you in my headset. Eddie can't hear you, but I think the audience can. So we'll, we'll, we'll go in behind the curtain. I'm going to take my headset off. Could be. I was asking yesterday someone, at the beginning of the show, do they prefer when either A, we start out by just immediately getting to the news of the day since we have not been on locally for two hours, or B kind of get caught up on what each of us individually did since we last were together and then get into sports. I think the when there is news to report, obviously that's what we're going to do is right off the top for people that are getting in their car, going to lunch, whatever, hey, here's, what, here's what's going on in the sports world. Here's the latest that we're hearing. Um, the Colts get back on the practice field in an hour, and at that point we'll have a better understanding, for those that are curious, about what is taking place in terms of who's in, who's out. But what we know right now, Jimmy, and, and anticipate, I would assume, is still going to be the case. Is that, are we moving microphones here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we anticipate that Anthony Richardson, again, is all systems go. And Jonathan Taylor, excuse me, uh, Freudian slip there because Eddie's wearing a Jonathan Taylor jersey. Uh, Ryan Kelly is also probably going to continue in terms of the next step through the protocol, but neither of them is off of concussion protocol right now. But it does look like both of them are going to play on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the way things are trending, when you look at the most recent reports and you look at... I think that mic's not working, by the way, because I can hear everything that's happening over there. Um, hold on. I'm, I'm moving things out of the way. This is... This is now, hold on. Can people hear this? If I, There we go. Now, uh, can you hear me now? No. Okay, we'll go back to this one. How about now? That sounds yes, like yes, it's working. That's, that's, yeah, there we go. Loud and clear. Yep. Okay. I think that was the first one I was on, by the yeah, way. Yeah. There's so many different things I would like to test that we can't do for the sake of radio, but Jake's mic is back and we're ready to roll. Uh, your question was, is, are things trending like they're going to be a normal way of living for a Colts fan, meaning how you started week one to be, meaning mainly everybody to full health, meaning Ryan Kelly would be available. I, meaning by the Anthony way, Richardson I have 100 texts now, people like, hey man, your mic doesn't work. <laughs> You know, that is the benefit, I would say, of giving telecommunication access to the masses. Do, do I just need to put both microphones I think, together I think, here? I think you got to double up. I think we got to yeah, double fist is, the microphones, and that's where we're going okay, today. This, I feel this, like. is, this has bad connotation written all over it. I have no idea which microphone I'm talking into. I have said before, Jimmy, um, on many occasions I have told people, I have no skill in life. None. The only skill that I have is I have the ability to talk into microphones that they tell me to talk into when I'm supposed to talk into them. Now, you can imagine the total curveball to my life when now I'm not sure which microphone they're telling me to talk into. My one skill has now been completely depleted. Do you remember how you opened the show? Well, the audience might not, but Jake had asked the balancing act of 
how was your day versus diving right into the sports news. <laughs> we're well, answering well, both with no, one, aren't we? we? We're answering both with one, but on top of that, you had brought us back to your Model UN days prior to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the visual I'm getting now. You're at a press conference. You got multiple mics in That's front right. of you, and, and you're just getting just thrown questions left and right, and you're having to respond so to So when I was in high school, I was at North Central High School. And Model UN, I assume they still do Model UN, but it was a pretty neat deal where kids, you know, you come up with the representation of a country, and then you eventually go to the Model United Nations. It was at the University of Indianapolis, and kids from other schools are there representing different countries, and you, it's like a, an all-day, maybe a two-day thing. You got out of school was the big thing. It's but, a big win. But you go there and you represent a country and you have proposals as if you are the United Nations, right? Well, myself, I think it was myself, Lisa Martin, and Mike Byron, I think was our delegation, but we were Libya. And at that time, Muammar Gaddafi was the leader of Libya, that you had the no-fly zone. Libya was always creating havoc. And so we were the nation of Libya, and so we went in and our proposal was that we were going to start a war. And we're like, we're just going to start a war and create problems. And, and like people were outraged, and then is it was, bad that I get agent of chaos like vibes from you every now and again? <laughs> well, so so then some kids from Greenfield Central, and I, I think they were like I can't remember what country they were, but they were like, you know what, we're on board. We're, we are aligning with Libya and starting war. And all of these other kids from like Burbuff, you know, kids that actually took this seriously, got super up in arms and offended. A lot of by pearl it. clutching going on. So we had to go in front of like the director of the United Nation, the Model UN thing, and they're like, "What are you doing? Why are you creating this havoc? Why are you taking everybody else's hard work and coming up with like green proposals and clean water? And and, and you're in here making a mockery of this by trying to start war as Libya." And I said, "Isn't that what the United Nations is?" Isn't there? Why does the United Nations gather? It's usually because they've got to come together to figure out how to deal with some rogue country that needs to be put in the control chair. That, that's what. Otherwise, they all just sit around and like exchange flags and soccer balls. But that's what the UN is, right? Is like yeah. they get together. And sure. literally, the director goes, "That's actually a really good point." And and was like, <laughs> "Go start your war." And then I think like it was like three o'clock, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, this goes till six. School's out at three. I'm going home." And we left. <laughs> You had a proxy to somebody else. But at else. any rate, we now restart. Eddie, let, let's begin with this. And this is a professional radio program, folks. Don't kid yourself. Uh, which microphone am I going with, Eddie? Am I going with windscreen or non-windscreen? Uh, windscreen. Okay, thank you. Uh, that is this microphone. That sounds wonderful. I've never sounded better. I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. But, 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 that, but that button controls that mic. Okay, so we've learned that. I, I, I'm okay. sorry. My brain had to do a live I'll, hypothesis on just, the air. So that's your button this. now. Let's there you go. just say this. Okay. I hate my own voice. I, I can't stand it. I don't like listening to air checks. If I hear a commercial when I'm in the car and my voice is on it, I momentarily turn down the radio. But because we just switched microphones, I'm not going to lie to you. My voice kind of is turning me on. Yeah, you're there? Yeah. Good. I'm happy just for so you. you know. By the way, um, you mentioned text coming in about our technical difficulties to start the show. Uh, our first guest at 1230, Will Haskett will get a set for the Ryder Cup. Uh, he pointed out to me as well that your mic was not on and then followed up by saying he planned on talking Model UN for his entire segment now. So apparently <laughs> Will's very into I the Model UN. I find that UN. not surprising at all, right? <laughs> no. Uh, okay, so to restart, good afternoon to you. It is a Wednesday. This is Query and Company here on 93.5107.5. The fan, my name is Jake Query. Obviously, Jimmy Cook, who is the president of the company, is here. And Eddie Garrison not only is the CEO of Query and Company, he has also been elevated to the chief operating officer for logistics and um, 
diagnostics okay, and technical affairs. Yes. Okay. That's a long title for you, Eddie. Is mine? Nope, you're not <laughs> on either. It doesn't gone. work. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So, so <laughs> Eddie figured out the logistics and diagnostics of he every microphone but mic. his own. He gave his own mic for you, Jake. That's he's, what happened. He's never sounded better, actually. Um, so the Colts, let's begin with this. We're going to talk. Will Haskett will join us at about 1230. We'll talk a little golf. Stu Jackson, not the one that normally is dishing out discipline within the NBA and used to coach at Wisconsin, but from therams.com is going to join us to talk about at 1 o'clock. We're going to take our Thursday road trip. And, uh, did I say it's Wednesday? It's Thursday today, right? It is Thursday. Okay, Does the sorry. car work? Have we gotten that far? Did you fill the gas tank? Are we good to go there? Yeah. The, uh, unlike the mics, the car's running. Good, good, good. So we will do our Thursday road trip with Stu Jackson, and we will preview the Colts and the Rams with the writer from therams.com. My understanding is uh, if you go to rams.com, it's a not-safe-for-work website. Is that yeah, right? It's either a not-safe-for-work website or it just takes you to a URL error that the website is a park domain you can't access. So therams.com is where you want to go. Um, here's why my days are thrown off. Open confession. So I'm going to on a vacation as you know in a month I, you guys are gonna get tired of hearing me mention that but in that regard and i i vary on this I, probably in my adult years 50 percent of the time i've actually done a flu shot but i thought you know what i'm going overseas i'm gonna be gone let's just play it safe i'll go ahead and sign up for it so i i did and first off i i went to the and i, I do not do needles I am terrified of needles. I do not do well with it. I it is. I have to do blood draws every once in a while, and it is, let me tell you, um, there is nothing in the world that I detest more than needles. I don't, I, I don't really like them either, but my play has always been, and I'm sure you do this, but if it's like like I have everybody's rational fears, I try to look away, right? Like if they're going to be I, I do that. Right I put side, in earbuds. I do the whole thing. Uh, whatever, but the second they put the rubber thing around my arm, I'm like... You know it's time. You know it's go it, time. It's brutal. Sure. Um, I watched last night The Amazing Race, which is one of the best shows in television. Always has been. And they had to do like a, a high wire kind of act. Mm. And I'm like, I'd rather do that than do, do a needle any day of the week. So at any rate, I get to the establishment where I had signed up for the shot and they're like, oh, we don't take your particular insurance. We have pretty good insurance here. But I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't realize that. So they said, well, you can go to, and they give me the name of another establishment. They, they take that insurance for certain. I go, okay. So I go online, and I look, and I'm like, I want to do this today because if I delay this, like if I say, well, the appointment's for tomorrow, there's no way I'm going to do it because I've psychologically gotten myself ready for the needle. You're right? ready to go. You're locked in. <laughs> so at that point... I drive like 40 minutes out of the way uh, to Beach Grove. So shout out to the Grove. Um, spent some time in Beach Grove yesterday hanging out. The Fighting Mike Chapels. And that's right. And the Jason Hammers, I think, as well. Katie Gerald's, of course. Yes, of course. Long list. So, so in it, Ron Green. So I get the shot and all's good. I went last night and spoke to Rich Nye's class at University of Indianapolis. Side of the model you in fiasco. And... <laughs> Everything was good, and I woke up today, and I will admit, like, I definitely have that, like, fog. And, and people can text me all they want about, like, vaccine, whatever. I get it. Fine. Sure. Um, free will, right? Free choice. I decided to get a flu vaccine, so I did. So today, I'm a little under the sorts. So you guys have to I'm, – I'm relying on you here, right? Lift me up. Eddie, you are now not just – you think the mic is a little off kilter today? Well, what about the person talking into it, right? Just all I'm asking is not unlike <laughs> Mr. Vargas in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Just 
have a heart, okay? I switched to Sanka. Now I think I'm trying. Okay, so oh, there wow. Hey, there welcome is. back. What oh, wow, you, there What did you is. figure out over there, Liberace? You've been um, playing with keys all day. <laughs> Things on the board have been switched up, so there's different inputs. Who switched the board? Do we know? Do we have a culprit? Well, Cam I, is going at work to fix the problem, who. but I don't think he was the one that actually caused the issue. I don't well, know I, who here, the here's, issue Here's my was. thing. No, here's my thing. The, uh, I, I know exactly who it is. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I'll be the Perry Mason of the group. Did, did Cam okay. just single himself out? Cam may or may not have singled himself uh, out. No, Cam's Cam's taking a fall here. Cam's a good guy. Cam's one of the chief engineers here. Fabulous individual. Everybody has this kind of guy. Another Uindy grad, L- by the way. Let me tell you what every They're office everywhere. has. People can relate to this that are listening. If you are listening right now and you work in a marketing office, you, it, well, and you used to work in an office, now you're working from home. But everybody has what I call the printer guy. Now, what exactly is the printer guy? This is another queryism. The printer guy is the guy or gal. I got to get my fun fact board out. In any office, <laughs> there's the one person that when the printer is jammed, the printer needs toner, the printer needs ink, the printer needs color, whatever it might be. There's that one guy that you're like, hey, does anybody know? And they're like, oh, find Scotty. He knows how to fix everything. Scotty Johnston and this building in Cam, they are the printer guys. Literally, no matter what happens, it doesn't matter what takes place. You lose your car keys, they know where they are. They know how to do everything in this building. They are totally invaluable. Every company has that, right? So I'm not going to throw Cam under the bus here on the Mike fiasco. I'm actually 150% putting the blame here on Mark Dykton because he was the last guy running that board at 10 o'clock. I worked with them every morning for 19 months, had a great time, but I had to keep that guy in line. You always got to Sounds plausible to me. So he's trying to sabotage you is what you're saying. He, you always got to keep an eye on that guy. He's shifty, is he, what he, he is. He also said in the chat, Jake looks like he's doing a press conference with the double microphones. Quote, I'm very sorry, but I deny any wrongdoing. <laughs> <laughs> also plausible, right? Also plausible. Um, there was a lot of talk last night about the big NBA trade with Damian Lillard. And now, and this is interesting to me, guys, because Drew Holiday, who, of course, is married to Lauren Chaney, the former Ben Davis soccer star, so there's a local tie. He's the brother of Aaron Holiday former Pacer draft pick, as well as Justin Holiday, former Pacer player. Um, Drew Holiday, I think, is a really, really good player. You pointed it out yesterday, Jimmy, uh, very astutely, that his defense is a very underrated aspect of his – I shouldn't say underrated. I think people know he's a great defender. But in terms of what he brings to a roster and to a team, defensively, he can be kind of a missing piece kind of guy. And I will rely on Eddie to kind of keep his eye when he's not over there playing the piano of the buttons, trying to get them all sorted out from Mark's fiasco to keep an eye on if anything happens today. But the word is that even though he was acquired in this deal yesterday for Damian Lillard, that sends Damian Lillard to Milwaukee, that the word is that Portland is interested in immediately flipping him and that he will not be a blazer. Now, he is the kind of talent, I'll be honest with you, I don't know from a roster standpoint that he fits in with Indiana, but that kind of defense is really hard. If there's, if you've got a chance to make a move there, I think you make a move. Now, does Indiana is Indiana exploring that? I don't think so. But as Mark Monteith pointed out yesterday so brilliantly, the trades you hear about never happen, and the trades that happen you never heard about. Right. It's usually how it works, right? Yes. Now, we can get some of the lowdown on that because now today's Thursday, right? It is. Okay. I'm going to have to write this down. For some reason, I keep thinking it's Wednesday. That's good. That means tomorrow's Friday. And all day, I've been thinking tomorrow's Thursday. 
It's a great feeling when you have that trip up and then you realize, oh no, the weekend is right around the corner, baby. I'll tell you what, I should just start getting this flu shot more often and just start <laughs> skipping days. Uh, so today is Thursday. I'm writing that down. Thursday. Okay. So um, that means that six days from today, I didn't even tell you guys this. Eddie, do you have the breaking news sounder? Thank you. Uh, breaking news, next Wednesday, 2 o'clock in studio, General Manager of the Indiana Pacers, Chad Buchanan, will come in and spend a significant amount of time with us going over all of these kinds of things. Now, I don't know whether or not there's going to be any sort of a roster change by then, but in terms of the Pacers' standpoint on moves like this, one of the things that I'm curious about and that we'll ask him about is, you know, what all does go into an NBA trade? H- how often are the phones ringing – how often are they really talking to one another? How do you know if somebody's serious or just bluffing? How do you know if somebody's just trying to find out which assets you have that you actually are willing to part with? I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, right? I wonder also, and this is me stepping into your realm of thinking, I believe, just a random thought on how general managers act. How much in 21st century society do you think it's over text? And at what point does it progress Excellent to a question. phone call? Excellent question. I, I would say a fair amount, probably, right? Yeah, I would say so. Um like in your head, if I'm thinking back to like a simpler time, it's all done on like an office phone with like nine different lines on it. Kind of like the one we have in here where it's like, oh, no, I don't have time for that trade. I'm sorry that you pick up the phone. You call Portland instead and have negotiations there. Whereas now today's society, it's much more practical. Not now, but for the last decade, just shoot a text. So, you don't need to have so a business here's, phone. Here's an example. Sure. A long time ago in the I can tell you what year it would have been. At the end of the 1988 basketball season, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the, the year that began in the fall of 88, so it would have been the 1989 season technically. It, 88-89. In the, in the spring of 1989. Sure. The word around the NBA via, at that time, phone calls would, was that Boston was interested in moving on from Larry Bird because they had Reggie Lewis, I believe, and a couple of young players that they thought were kind of the direction they wanted to go, and Larry Bird was starting to enter into the back, started to bother him, etc. So there was word, while unconfirmed, that Boston was interested in moving on from Larry Bird. So the Indiana Pacers, who had still had Chuck Person, who had Reggie Miller, who was in his just finished his second year who had a very young Rick Smith who only had gotten onto the floor as a rookie with significant time because of injuries to Steve Stepanovich. There was a young nucleus in Indiana. And the brass of Indiana said, you know what? I'm going to make a phone call and see if I can get Larry Bird. This is a fact, okay? So the then general manager of the Pacers, who later would become the president and CEO of the Pacers, but the then general manager, Donnie Walsh, picks up the phone and calls Boston and says, is this true about Larry Bird? This is the word around the league. And the general manager of the Boston Celtics says, yes, if you make an offer, I will explore it. So Donnie Walsh makes an offer that was a three-player offer. I'm not going to say which three players. I, I realize it's been like, but I don't want to disrespect those players, right? And that was that part was was told to me once privately, so I'll leave it at that. But three players were offered by Indiana to the Celtics for Larry Bird. And I'm not going to explore any further, but just out of curiosity, as you look back on it now, 
reasonable to fair trade offer or above and beyond, would you say, on the Pacers' side of things? In the moment, seemed like the Pacers would have been not giving up a lot. Okay. But where the players ended up in their career, it's a good thing the trade did not happen. Okay. So they offer three players. And Boston, the general manager of the Boston Celtics says, I'll do it. Let's go. So the Pacers then have to fax. Okay. Now, this was something that took place all the way up until the mid-2000s where you had to fax paperwork to the NBA. So the Pacers faxed the paperwork over to Boston. Red Arbach, who's the president of the Boston Celtics, meaning he's the one person in the building that is above the general manager, Red Arbach calls Indiana, calls Donnie Walsh and says, look, I realize that the general manager was down for this, but the buck stops with me yeah, and no, no way shot. I'm sending no you Larry chance. Bird. Absolutely no chance. And the Pacers thought they had him. They really did think that they were going to get him. Now, in hindsight, probably a good thing because Bird was done by essentially the end of the 92 season. I mean, the dream team, he was on that team. He had the back problems. And if you recall, I, I think it was the 91 playoffs. It was either the 89 or 91 playoffs. They, they run together to me, so I apologize. But the, the famous Chuck Person playoff in the Garden where he went nuts, it was kind of the precursor to Reggie Miller in Madison Square Garden people forget Reggie Miller's heroics against the New York Knicks have caused people to forget the Chuck Person heroics in that first round matchup against the Boston Celtics where he was standing at midcourt and he, I mean he was on fire and he's yelling out like you know your parquet floors your banners nothing can stop me and people in Indiana are like hell yes let's go that's our guy we are all in and Chuck Person was a a great player here and a wildly popular player um but right, right then, was it was the '91 playoffs. Thank you to Greg. Um, at that moment, you know, Bird was in that game, and that's when he had the, the the cheek slam and comes back. So obviously, he had some basketball left in the tank. But in that game, if you recall, he was on the sidelines laying down because the back was bothering him. So they would have gotten Larry Bird essentially on an end of career rental. But all of that is a long winded, I think, kind of interesting historically story about. All that goes into trades. It's not, but your your question is a good one about text. My assumption and understanding, Jimmy, is that it would start with probably a text, which then would lead to a phone call and probably in 2023, a Zoom, right? Or some sort of variation of that. And then both teams, once they agree to a trade, have to mutually send in paperwork to the NBA. Now, I don't, when the Pacers tried to trade for O.J. Mayo, it was a fax because their fax was like two minutes past the deadline, and that's why the O.J. Mayo-Josh McRoberts trade never went through. But now, I'm, I'm sure, obviously, it's like a PDF sent over and, and is relatively instantaneous. But the, the understanding that I've always been given from people that probably know, is that one of the areas where Adrian Wojnarowski is so dialed in, aside from being very good at what he does, very reputable, very respected by basketball officials, is also he has contacts within the NBA that work in the office where the paperwork comes in. Thus, that's how he knows oftentimes before other people, which is a pretty good source to have, right? I'm glad you brought that up about the OJ Mayo trade because I was going to talk. I was going to bring up the fact that, yeah, whatever it is with fax machines or, or stuff getting properly sorted... It always involves a fax machine. Great question about always the text, man. Yeah. Uh, by we the way, ask him next week. My, my mom just sent me a text. Uh, Jake, today's Thursday. Thank you. See, my mom's on top of it, right? 
Yeah, looking out for you. Can you imagine? Like, that's the bottom line. If I was trying to trade O.J. Mayo for Josh McRoberts today, I'd screw the whole thing up on the facts because I don't know what day it is. Jake, the deadline was yesterday. I'm talking into the wrong mic to make the phone call. I'm sending the wrong facts. But the good news is I most likely won't get the flu, right? Um, I would say no, by the way. We'll get into this later in the show. I don't think we can fully give it justice in three minutes. But to your question about Drew Holiday, not because I don't want him, but you have to get creative to match salaries there. Good point. Even if you just did Buddy Heald and... But he healed straight up for Drew Holiday wouldn't work. You'd have to still and, match salaries. You know, the the big ticket salary, not that he would be obviously a part of the trade. I right. Mean, no no chance. But I think a lot of people forget, like, the big ticket salary of Tyrese Halliburton doesn't go into effect till next year. Right. So you still have guys kind of on the end of years and things like that. I could see a guy like Daniel Tice being thrown in there if there were yeah. something to happen because he would be the only guy to match up with salaries to help get you closer. Correct. To that $36 million, I think, is what it is that Drew Holiday is owed. And you know one area where I was wrong? I, I mean, I still think I was right, but it never panned out. I really did think, Eddie, when they acquired Daniel Tice, that he was going to be like the blue – the printer guy. He was going to be like the printer guy for the Pacers. You know, Jeff Foster was that guy, right? The guy that like when, when the going gets tough and the tough get dirty, that you're like, that's the guy that can always bail us out and has an answer. And I thought Daniel Tice could be that guy because, quite frankly, the roster last year lacked one thing. It lacked a goon. And by goon, I don't mean a guy that intentionally is going in and starting fights, but a guy that you know, if you start to, to throw an elbow or, or a cheap block at Ty Halliburton or Matherin or whatever else, that that's the guy you're going to have to deal with. Steven Adams does that really yes. well. You know, every team has that guy that is kind of the enforcer that draws the line in the sand, but Indiana, Indiana doesn't have that guy. And I really did think Daniel Tice could be that guy. Healed Tice, Neesmith, and another player thrown in would work. I'm just... Looking at salaries, I'm not calling I like for people Smith, to get moved. Man. I understand. I'm just like looking at salaries. I'm not. You know, it's funny. We McConnell would do it. There's another one that always will see. Yeah. See, a lot of people like McConnell. I'm telling but... you, Aaron Neesmith, though, I think is a real nice. I also like reserve Neesmith. Swiss Army knife. Yeah. Like he can do three different positions. He never squawks about his role. Yep. Usually, when he's out there, something good happens within a play or two. I really like him. As do I. Really like him. Uh, you want to uh, hit the links next? Absolutely. Not sausage, right? Across the pond, hitting the links. Apparently, Eddie's got sausage fingers on the board today. Doesn't know which buttons he's pushing, right? But Will Haskett going to talk to us. A little golf. We're going to do it next. It's Quarry and Company. 93. Thank you very much for being patient with the beginning of this pseudo-professional radio program. 93.5-1075, The Fan. Now, this is interesting. My buddy Dave sends me this. Jake, I would like to join the company as administrator of slogans and promotions. I think you should have administrators of everything. My first slogan is, the company is worldwide. Now, we're not, we barely get out of 465, right? But we can pretend to be worldwide, especially if we're talking about events that are taking place that are of world significance. I would agree with that, but I would also counter and say that I could download the fan app or I could go to 1075thefan.com and I could listen anywhere. I tried to fight through it. I failed. I'm sorry. Well, me, but, but the, fine. the problem is, Jimmy, that, that then we are under some sort of an assumption that we are creating content that people would want to do that for. I thought that was the point of and expanding. That's the Our aggressive <laughs> expansion. Why did Eddie go to Colorado if not for the company? Exactly. Were you were you researching for the company, Eddie? I told you I was. Big yeah, focus right. group. Yes. Focus group Eddie established and, and, there. And what did people say? More avalanche talk? No, I was just trying to get a gander on what it would take to get out there. So uh, we'll talk about that at our next board meeting. Okay. They, they want, needed you to say Coach Prime more, they, actually. They, That's yeah, what they, they said. They want more Deion Sanders yep. because you can't get that anywhere yeah. else. 
Uh, joining us now on the hotline, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so, to talk a little PGA. He is, in fact, the director of golf affairs for the Quarian Company. Is that a fair title, Will Haskett? Not C-suite. I see how this is going to go. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Um, obviously, you know, when it comes to golf, you're the guy, right? Ryder Cup here. Um, I think the big storyline, and you tell me if if I'm wrong here, but the big storyline is, you know, hey, th- this is an event where the Americans have maybe struggled is the wrong word, but let's face it. I mean, it has not gone their way. Is this the year? That's the question. That's the storyline. Or am I, am I way, way, way being too simplistic about the stories? No, 100%. I mean, they haven't won in Europe in 30 years. So that's that's about the, you know, I think that's really the rub of the whole week. They were dominant two years ago at Whistling Straits. They've obviously won um, the last two playing for the Ryder Cup on home soil. So we've kind of had this back and forth, which is, I think, which is good, obviously, for the event, which is becoming very European dominant there for a stretch of time. And on paper, and this doesn't really matter because there's been several times where on paper the Americans are more talented, but on paper you've got this this depth of talent. You know the the way that Justin Thomas can have a bad season, make the team, and you know people are arguing over five, six, seven other guys that probably should have been on the team or could have been on the team. Sort of goes to show how Zach Johnson and the entire Team USA brain trust, the task force that was created after. Uh, the debacles of um, the last couple of times in Europe have sort of created and have been fortunate to have this sort of influx of incredible young American talent. So the question is, can on paper, the better team do something that no American team has done in three decades? That is the question. Will, how much of it is the advantage of playing on home soil or is that aspect overrated? I asked that for more of our, our casual golf fans that are looking at this and seeing that the U.S. has struggled when they've gone across the pond. Is it really a matter of home field advantage or home soil advantage or is it just a combination of things that have led to the U.S. to struggle over there? Yeah, so the host country has the ability of sort of setting up the golf course the way that they want to. So in previous Ryder Cups, so the most recent one in Europe was in Paris in 2018, and the United States got their doors blown off. And that team had a lot of really big hitters, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, a young Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, guys that really weren't very accurate off the tee. And the European team at that time was still a lot of stalwart veterans that were more accurate players, the Graham McDowells of the world, uh, even Ian Poulter, but great putter. I mean, it doesn't really matter about his strengths. He was just really good in team golf. Uh, I digress. So they were able to set up that golf course to where if you missed the fairway, you were in cabbage. Like it, the rough was so thick. And that's kind of been the rule of thumb through the years of the Europeans. They were always more accurate. They were better on the greens. They're used to putting on slower putting surfaces than American players. But now there's so much international combination of these guys. Most of these European players play predominantly on the PGA Tour. Many of them live full-time in the United States. And honestly, if you look at their stats, the distance and accuracy numbers have kind of flip-flopped in terms of these two teams. So the Europeans have had that sort of historical advantage of setting up the golf course to favor them and to take the strength of the Americans out of play. And I wouldn't necessarily – I don't think it's really the same anymore. Now, this golf course does have some thick rough. It has been cut down or graduated, I guess is how you would call it. So just off the fairway, it's okay. A little bit farther off the fairway, it's a little bit deeper. And if you're miles off the fairway, you might not find your golf ball. Um, But again, I think the Europeans have had to be a little bit more strategic in understanding that, hey, you know what? Our strengths 
or what we used to be protecting against. And now we have to kind of make sure that we're not eliminating our strengths when we have maybe the top three drivers of the golf ball in the world on the European team or what three of the top five, at least. Will, I'm going to ask a really dumb question. Okay. <clears throat> Is it about model UN? Cause I'm, I'm ready, buddy. I'm ready. Did to you, were you in model three. UN? Don't you think oh, my yeah. idea at model UN was actually brilliant? I didn't hear the second part of it. I only heard the the uh, the UND experience. So, so but. when I was in high school, and thank you for bringing that up, Will. Uh, no when problem. I was at North Central, the same school that you attended, no. I model UN. You know, there were kids that were very into that, and it's a neat deal where basically kids learn about the simulation of the United Nations, yeah. right? Sure. And so, uh, myself, Mike Byron, Lisa Martin, we decided to join it because I mean, you know, you miss school for a day, and we went, and we were the delegation of Libya. And at that mm-hmm. time, Libya, Muammar Gaddafi was—he was always causing problems. Okay, okay I heard this part. So you mixed it up. You wanted it. You wanted it because you guys were a—you a, guys were a curveball country at we that went, point. In yeah, time. we went so, rogue, yeah, and our proposal yeah. was to start war. And uh, some kids from Greenfield Central—and I can't remember what country they were—but they were on board with us. They—they they were down for that. Sure. So we now yeah. had—you know—we had like our own little rogue group here. And the director of the Model UN got upset with us and pulled me into a room and said, you better come up with a good reason here why you're doing this and creating this havoc for other kids that are that have worked hard for their green proposals. You're simulating what could happen. you got to throw the curveball at people. And I said, I said, listen, this is the way – what's the point of the United Nations? If it weren't for some people yeah. that need to be put in the control chair, then basically they're all just getting together and, and trading soccer balls. So I'm this 100% is 100% with you because I did reality. the same thing, Dick. I did did the you really? Same okay, thing. now what yeah, country so- were you? So we were Albania. Now, like most of our shared I, I, North I think ally experience. of Libya in the 91 model UN, to be honest with you. Uh, we, we were Algeria. Albania, Algeria, potato, potato, right? And from a high school standpoint in model UN. Uh, but like most of my North Central experiences, Jake, since I was after you, they were significantly more heightened and better than what you had to go through. So ours was at the Palmer House Hilton in Chicago. It was a multi-day affair. We took 20-some-odd kids from North Central up there and spent a few days. And um, we did the same thing. Like, we were this little country that didn't matter, and there was some contingent from, I don't know where they were from, Chicago, Wisconsin, wherever it might have been. And they wanted to pass some legislation through whatever committee we were sitting in. And Robert Hartley and I, we were the two guys, and we said, hey, um, you know what? This doesn't really fit. I think what our country wants to do, but we didn't tell anybody about <laughs> That's it. That's right. Of and course. When it, came to a, when it came to a vote, we were the only country that voted against it. And there were a couple of young ladies that were really upset. I, I mean, there were tears. There well, were tears involved because something. all of their hard work went by the wayside. And then we had countries that came to our defense and said, you know what? Yeah, let's mix it up. Um, so it was a learning experience for everybody. It was the first time, but not the last, that I made gals from both Park Tudor and Burbuff cry, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I got out of city. All right, your stupid question. Here's again, my dumb question, but it does yeah. involve international relations, okay? Yeah, go. When it comes to the Ryder Cup and the U.S.'s futility, as you'd mentioned, not winning over there in Europe for 30 years, and I'm going to show my golf like ignorance here, is that A, because of obviously just like the, you know, it's a little bit of a raucous, fun environment and the pressures that come with that and da-da-da-da, or how much of that is that, even though I realize American golfers play all over the world and play in the British Open and other such things, but how much is that? How much of that is European golf being played at a different level in the coming through the ranks area, and the courses that are being designed that caters towards that style of play, which is just a harder, immediate like correction for a team of twelve people. Yeah, I mean, kind of to my earlier point. I mean, tighter fairways, longer rough, and slower greens. 
is kind of the makeup of much of the courses on the DP and not as much as it was when Europe had this home course advantage significantly 20, 15 years ago. Um, I will also say the major advantage that they had had through the years is that they were just a better team. They were more cohesive. Um, even guys you know, crossing countries, there was just more of a sense of unity. And so some of the pairings were so good, at especially a format like alternate shot, which is the first round of matches tomorrow, or I guess overnight for us, is true alternate shot. And you know you can put your partner in some really bad spots. You've got to be playing for the other guy. And I think we've seen a little bit of that shift from the United States standpoint, especially with this young core of great players, star players who have been playing junior golf together since they were 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. And I think the United States is recognizing that it's not just us rolling out the 12 best players that we can and then figuring out team cohesiveness. It's like, no, we also have to really pay attention to what are our best combinations? What are our best pairings in two different formats? What gives us the best chance of getting the most out of our players? And again, I think a lot of those, even though the United States was a better team on paper, the, the Europeans was doing everything else to get that 1%. They were into analytics before the United States were. They were into pairings better. They were, they were doing a lot of psychological stuff in advance of what the United States has. And now the U.S. has caught up to all of that stuff, and they have the better roster. So that's why I think this is a really important test this week because if all this stuff comes together, and again, it's golf. Can either team win? Certainly. But I, this is a real test because everything now is in place for the Americans to finally get over this hurdle. And is this the team that does it? We'll have to find out. Will Haskett of PGA Tour Radio with us on Query and Company. All right, Will, you knew we were going to get here eventually. And for my co-host, I will say 1-800-9 with it if you need it. Um, so looking at the Ryder Cup, if I was going to place a wager on top minute, point score. I don't need 1-800-9 with it. No, no, but you, you prefer that I put it out there for the masses. I wasn't saying you need no, it. it. Let me be, re-clarify might that. might be for you. It could uh, be for ahead. me, too. I, it, look, I told you it's one of my emergency contacts for a reason, okay? Uh, <laughs> so for top point score for U.S. and top point score for Team Europe, where's the where's the best value there? And then wh- what what is the best value bet for a Ryder Cup? Because it feels different than trying to attack a major because of how many options there are. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's so many different options. Like, t- top point getter is a really good one. I mean, now we'll have we have match odds tomorrow. So, I think you can get plus odds now on Max Homa and Brian Harmon in the second match out against uh, Ludwig Aberg and Victor Hovland, which should make a really good team. But I think an alternate shot, I don't think Homa and Harmon are going to be out of a hole. So, you know, I think that there's maybe a little bit of value as you start to look at the individual matches and strength of play and where you might do things. Uh, the European team to win the cup this week. And that's a big distinction because again, if they, if they tie the United States retains the cup, even though they haven't necessarily won it back because they hold the cup from two years ago, but the Europeans are favored. You can get plus money on them to win the whole thing. And as I like to say, if you like to bet with your heart, if you're a hedger, say emotionally, this is a pretty good week. If I told you right now as a team USA fan that I could, if you spent $50 right now and the United States won, would that be worth your investment? then put it on the Europeans because if they don't win, you're going to get plus money and double that 50 bucks back on the opposite side. I'm not saying root against the Americans. It's just, you know what, if it doesn't go your way as a fan, at least you can say you made a little bit of money on the weekend because I do think there's a little bit of value in plus money and what I think is kind of a coin flip between these two teams, given that it's on foreign soil. But top point getter really boils down to who could potentially play five matches. Um, most of the captains are saying that because of the demands of this week, the hilly nature of the golf course that they don't think many guys are going to play five matches, 
I find that hard to believe. I think at least a couple of guys for Europe, Victor Hovland kind of stands out at the top of my list, will play five matches this week. I'm not sure who might play five matches for the United States team, but if it's a top player that's going five times versus another player that's going four, the likelihood of that guy getting more points increases those odds. So Hovland to get the most points for Europe, I think is, is it's my favorite bet on the European side. Um, and then opposite of that on the United States side, I've got a feeling about Colin Morikawa this week. I think his game is better suited to play on European soil than American soil because of his accuracy. It hasn't been a great year for him, but I wouldn't, Imagine he goes less than four times this week. He's not in foursomes tomorrow, I don't believe, um, of the four matches that are out. They just announced him about an hour ago. Uh, but that was my guy I liked with the money. But, again, him not going out first tomorrow then means I bet he better be going out in the afternoon, all day Saturday, and obviously singles on Sunday if I like that money. But those are the two guys I've sort of circled from the beginning of the week. Is there a guy, Will, that on either side that stands out to you that even though this is, I mean, I think of the Ryder cup is, I mean, I know that there's a lot of stakes in it. There's, you know, there's the pride and all of that, but for the most part, it's, you know, it's, it, how do I word it? I I mean, a more, a less rigid event, obviously like a fun event, but is there a golfer on either side that you look at and you go, you know what, deep down, this is actually a fairly important week just because it's an opportunity to kind of get off the schneid a little bit and maybe exercise some mental ghosts that seem to be haunting them of late yeah that's a that's a really good question i mean justin thomas is the big one for the united states he has a an unbelievable record in team golf between the Ryder cup and the president's cup and had a bad year not a sub average year had a bad year playing golf and still got a captain's pick because of his immense talent and what he's capable of so i think inherently i mean him sort of being I would say the emotional leader of this particular crop of Americans, I'm surprised that he and Jordan Spieth are not playing first thing tomorrow. I kind of thought that would be something that would be locked in. They're not going to go out an alternate shot. I think JT's a, a huge one. I think that's the easy answer, although I'll, I'll also hedge that a little bit with Scotty Scheffler. Um, Scotty Scheffler had a historic year of ball striking, and the putter was, was bad. And in match play and in team golf, you can hit a, a million amazing shots and you can hit some of them inside a concession range and not have to worry about the putter. But almost all the highlights you see from Ryder Cup are guys making putts. And he's going to have to make some putts this week. And he's truly the best American player uh, on that roster, even with a bad putter this season. And so I think that there's uh, this is a good opportunity for him to sort of show with a little bit of time off what that means. And on the opposite side, this is Rory McIlroy's team now. Um, you know, with all the guys that left for live, so many of the old stalwarts, the Ian Poulter's, Henrik Stenson's, Sergio Garcia's of the world. You know, Rory was literally broke down into tears two years ago at Whistling Straits, talking about how much it means to him, how much he hates losing the cup. Um, he's been the face, the voice of men's professional golf on a PGA Tour standpoint. He's now an, an elder statesman or upper classman, however you want to view it. It is his team. So if they are to continue their dominance in Europe, it has to, he has to be that guy that leads. So I think, to me, that's an easy answer, although I'm sure some people would say other people, but it's it's Rory and then it's everybody else looking up to him on that side. Will Haskett of PGA Tour Radio Network with us. Will, last thing for me, who's your top rookie when the Ryder Cup dust settles? Well, they're putting Aberg out, Ludwig Aberg out in foursomes tomorrow. I kind of thought they let him rest until four balls, but they've seen so much impressive stuff from him. He's been so good since he turned pro. I worry a little bit about um, you know just the nerves and the moment and some pressure points for him. I think it's it's easy to say him on the European side. On the American side, it's really interesting because most of the rookies are are the older guys. And Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon win majors. They become Ryder Cup rookies. 
Uh, Sam Burns is going to play a lot with Scotty Scheffler. They're the first match out tomorrow, so he would he would be considered a rookie. Barely missed out on the team two years ago. Um, look, Wyndham Clark's been saying he's been talking a lot this week. He talked a lot last week. Um, he's you know he's a lot of you know, Buzzfeed sort of quotes of I'm the best player in the world, or I like I think of myself as the best player in the world. I think is how he's putting it, which most guys do. That's a psychological sort of edge they do, but it's certainly bulletin board material for a guy that kind of became an elite player just this year and is now a Ryder Cup rookie. Um, so I'll see, we'll see if he backs it up. But they're going to give him opportunities, I think, a couple times to do it. So, again, Aberg on the European side is probably your best bet for best American. And I will say Sam Burns for the United States because I think he plays a lot. Do you think of Wyndham Clark as a guy that's named for hotels or a candy bar? Yeah, it's uh, – a. You know, when you have a Wyndham who also plays in a Wyndham event, um, we have you know we have a Wyndham Hotels event on the PGA Tour. It's uh, yeah, if you, it's one of those things you show his name and show his face, and underneath it say, what does this guy do for a living? I'm not sure. Um, you know, top ten American golfer would be one of the first or eight things that you would say. What if he's like, ever uh, stayed at a Wyndham on Clark salesman or something like that? You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, all right, we'll appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Always appreciate it. And by the way, I'm just glad you weren't in Gola at Model UN because that's the hometown of Christian Leitner. And that right there automatically, I would have had an issue with that country. And don't sleep on the Costco chicken Alfredo, by the way. Uh, I got the macaroni and cheese mm. and um, one of the stir-fry options. Nice. Those are coming up for dinners this weekend. <laughs> okay. I, the chicken Alfredo from Costco, Jimmy? Delightful. Okay. That's a lot. That's a big serving. I don't know how much of that I can. It's, it's a little bit too much cholesterol in the arteries for this guy. Fair. Well, I've got several different medications I could spare you on <laughs> sure that, you Will. Do. Let me tell you something. Twice sure a day, do. brother. Hey, appreciate it, man. Have a good weekend, Will. See you guys. All right, Will Haskett joining us here on the program. Um, yeah, morning and night, baby. That cholesterol, I'm telling you what, I could I could basically just sit around if I wanted to and eat tubs of Land O'Lakes. I realize you don't nothing, need more. Nothing happened on these arteries. I know you don't need more job titles as chairman of the board, but you could be in the medical department with the amount of uh, <laughs> heart-related medications you have. Speaking of that, in terms of the company, I was talking earlier about how I, uh, I don't do needles. I'm terrified of needles. I can't even watch Intervention. I'm so afraid of needles, right? Uh, got a message from somebody that delivers blood for one of the local hospitals and wants to know, I'm trying to find the official title that they would like, but they want to know if they could be uh, in charge of like blood distribution. And I'm like, you know what? Have at with that, right? By all Have means, at. go ahead. That, that is a title that has zero competition in terms of people that would like it. We're going to take a road trip. Fire up the car. What are we getting? I'm getting combos. What are you getting, Eddie? Where are we going? We're going to Los Angeles. Yeah, well, where are we going? Long drive, buddy. I know. Where, Long, where are we actually, stopping? The Rams are coming. Well, we're, we're going straight through. I'll bring the canteen. Pizza Pringles. Pizza Pringles, good call. Anyway, 10 minutes from now, going to L.A. Hey, Jake Quarry for Villa Lici. Villa Lici is a community for traumatic brain injury survivors, and they would love for you to give an assist when it comes to Villa Lici and helping to create and cultivate a residential community for adult survivors of traumatic brain injuries. You know, when you think about people who had life change in a in an instant, whether it's a car accident, might be a sports injury, slipping and falling, hitting one's head, traumatic brain injuries are devastating, not just for, of course, the person who has gone through it, but caregivers, loved ones in general. Villa Lici is a vision of a residential community right here in central Indiana to assist for those folks who have been impacted by a traumatic brain injury. We would love for you to be able to assist with the vision. Check out a video at braininjury.me to find out more about Villa Lici and their needs and where you can help. That's braininjury.me. So you are bringing the pizza-flavored Pringles, right? Absolutely. 
The only thing that I will not allow as the driver of our road trip is... Is an Eddie stop in Colorado. <laughs> well, th- th- <laughs> if we did that, then he would probably want the next thing that, that I will ban. Because they they not only just kind of smell naturally, but th- they have zero nutritional value nor value in any way, shape, or form towards anything that assists in any way towards bettering a road trip. There's no taste to them. There's nothing about them that is a redeeming quality. They they can get messy because if you tear the bag wrong, they fall everywhere and they're stuck in the car. They they give everybody bad breath and they're just not good. Corn nuts. No All right, corn thank nuts. goodness. Agreed. Yes, here, here. agreed. Corn nuts. I, I, like honestly, like if if I see you and this has only happened four times in my life. If I see you at a gas station buying corn nuts, I don't judge you. I just automatically assume you're a psychopath. So fair line. Uh, one more request also, since we're going to L.A., I need some in and out in my life while we're there, okay? That's all right. I just need I to hit one quick stop. slightly overrated. Yeah, we'll get to that. Fat burger's better than in and out to be honest with you. But maybe our next guest, who you have crossed paths with in the past in a good way, not bad, right, Jimmy? Indeed. Maybe he could be the tie-breaking vote, in and out versus fat burger. All right? Of course. All Stu right. Jackson of the Rams.com, a fellow Hoosier in his own right. Stu, how are we? Doing great. How are you guys this morning? Doing great. Now, Stu, let's begin with this. Uh, you're you're driving in. You live in what part of Los Angeles? Santa Monica. Santa Monica. So you're you, you get done walking around the Santa Monica Pier, and then you realize that you're hungry, and you have two options. One is Fat Burger. One is In and Out. Which one are you going with? Oh, In and Out, no question. Oh, come on, man. W. <laughs> come on. The fries are terribly overrated. They're just like Orida crinkle fries, right? They're usually those shoestring fries. They're usually those shoestring style fries. No, they do the wedge crinkle fries at In N Out. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Look it up. All right. I'll bet you. Will you want to wager on this? Uh, Stu, Stu, while we're arguing this, let's get to this point. Um, tell me who we're going to see here. I, I, we have had a lot of conversation about this. The Rams, to me, are a little bit enigmatic because I know that they still have pieces of a team that won a Super Bowl. But at the same time, obviously, they pushed all in. And I applaud them for it to get that Super Bowl. But they, they gave up some assets to do it. And as a result, now maybe their depth hurts a little bit as because of those moves that they made. But the team that is coming in to see the Colts is exactly who for this version of it? Uh, a, com- a competitive team. A team that I think still very much has playoff aspirations. I mean, look, you're right about the roster turning over significantly, especially since, uh, or I should say, compared to the iteration of the team that won the Super Bowl. But even with all that youth, it hasn't prevented them from being competitive as most people have seen through the first three weeks of the season. And so, uh, a lot, still, like I said, a lot of youth on that roster, but they've still managed to be competitive again against the Bengals on Monday night, uh, against the 49ers in week two at home, and even at Seattle in week one, which is always a tough environment to play in. By the way, you're right, Jimmy. I looked it up. It is the shoestring fries now. Sorry. The in and out Burger. I accept I apology. swear I had Orida like the – you know what I'm talking about, the crinkle yeah. fries? Yes. Um, that's, that's the draw for me. <laughs> Part of the draw. Animal style. Got to go animal style. I mean, I will say that exactly. I, the line's just always wrapped around. It's like the, the Taylor Swift of fast food, right? Like people go crazy for it. Um, Stu, Matt Stafford, I, look, I've got – I think he's a heck of a player. I've always thought that, obviously. He's got a huge arm, and you know he's, he's obviously a tough quarterback. 
But there was a lot of drama seemingly in the offseason about his wife saying that like he doesn't even know who his receivers are and that they're they're still getting to know one another. Where is the chemistry or camaraderie just in terms of their offense for the Rams and trying to kind of get things going here and, and, and kind of jumpstart, I, I think, from a standpoint of I, I thought they looked sluggish against Cincinnati, but I also wasn't watching it play by play by play. Where do they stand versus where they want to be? I think where they stand is they're where they want to be in terms of the way the passing game is operating and the, and the pass protection they're getting. Obviously, you kind of talked about a little bit with the way the Bengals game went because of some of the injuries they experienced along the offensive line. It wasn't the way or up to par in the way it had been the first two weeks of the season. But, you know, Stafford's look great when he's had that protection and when he's had the time to throw. Uh, the camaraderie has, has been fine. I mean, if, if the camaraderie wasn't, wasn't there, if I'm being honest, would he trust Puka Nakua as much as he had to this point in the season as far as, you know, the way he's been able to target him and, and rely on him? And so uh, we'll see what the injury situation looks like for the offensive line this week. But it, it's been a team that, at least from the passing game standpoint, even a little bit in the run game, even though there's still some work to be done there, has, has, uh, has been where it wants to be and, and so far met the marks that it wants to meet. Stu, you bring up Puka Nakua, Stu Jackson with us, senior writer for the Rams on therams.com. Puka Nakua has been a sensational story around the league for what he's been able to do as a rookie wide receiver in three games, 30 catches, 338 yards. Where has been this influx for this rookie wide receiver? And is it something that you saw coming looking at training camp, looking at his evaluation as a player when they brought him in in the offseason and for his rookie campaign. Did you ever think this type of momentum was possible? I know he was shifted in the limelight without Cooper Cup, but did you see this coming? I, I kind of did, to be honest with you. Just watching training camp practices and seeing the way that he was able to earn Stafford's trust, it didn't surprise me in the least bit. I think he was there were times obviously when you know Cooper was initially dealing with that hamstring injury that that afforded receivers like Puka more reps and he took advantage of it I mean Stafford was targeting him and and showed clear trust in him and I remember interviewing him during one of our uh, training camp shows and he talked about how he's always constantly asking Cooper and and Tyler Higby questions and so you know when you're talking to two of the most experienced receivers on the team about your role or position and the best way to play it that can only set you up for success. And so uh, I don't know that I maybe foresaw him setting the rookie records. He did the NFL rookie records uh, to that extent, but uh, certainly knew that there was a good possibility of him having success based on the way he not only studied and approached things, but also just the way it translated to the practice field and how he was able to build that trust with Stafford. Stu Jackson is our guest. He is a writer for therams.com, joining us on the hotline here on Quarry & Company. Stu, defensively speaking, I think, we don't know for certain yet, we'll probably get more clarity on this this afternoon, but it would be my assumption that it is Anthony Richardson that the Rams are going to see on Sunday. Defensively speaking, what sort of things – do the Rams – I mean, look, I know Aaron Donald is a great player and has been a you know a Hall of Fame player, obviously, in the NFL. But what sort of looks do the Rams give defensively and what sort of things can they do to disrupt and challenge a young quarterback in Anthony Richardson? Well, the looks are, are a lot of what you see with the Fangio defensive system, if you will, that 
uh, you know, Vic Fangio is now the defensive coordinator for the Dolphins, kind of brought and vogue into uh, the league or made popular across the league. And so if you are familiar with that and you've seen and, and studied that, it's, it's those general concepts and, and base packages and whatnot. And out of that, if, if you're trying to limit Anthony Richardson in any way, the biggest thing is for the Rams defense is going to be keeping contained on the edge, knowing that, you know, he's obviously capable of escaping the pocket and, and making plays with his legs and also making plays off schedule with that arm strength, uh, whether it's short, intermediate, even deep passes. And so those are the really the biggest things is just not only keeping contained on the edge, but also uh, just being uh, sticky in the secondary as far as, you know, if he does get out of the pocket and, and try to, you know, hit a, hit a receiver on a not one of those off schedule plays, or if a play breaks down, making sure that uh, you're not losing track of any of those receivers. Because obviously, there's a lot of talent between Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pearson, and Josh Downs with the way they've played so far this season. Stu, there always be some natural affinity towards Kyron Williams in this state because of his ties to Notre Dame and wanting to see you know somebody from that program make good. It looked like through his rookie season that he was battling through a by-committee approach and that maybe that could be something that happens going into this season, but then the Rams move on from Cam Akers, and it appears this backfield has been opened up for Williams to fully grasp it and be a featured back. Uh, Can he do that in your mind with how they want to run things in Los Angeles? I only ask that because a week ago it felt like they wanted to use him in both the run game and the passing game against a tough Cincinnati defense. What do you think his role will be moving forward? And is he a featured back in the NFL? I think he absolutely is and, and has the, the chance to be one. Uh, I, I don't know the uh, the numbers off the top of my head, but I mean, to this point, he's he's had the lion's share of the, of the carries as, as far as the Rams backfield goes. I mean, they've had Ronnie Rivers in there a little bit to kind of spell him and uh, you know, Royce Freeman's been been active as kind of that that third running back, but it's basically been Kyron's Kyron's show at, at running back. And the thing about last year, to, to go back to what you were mentioning about his rookie year and what that looked like, you have to remember too that he had an ankle injury on the season opening kickoff, like on week one against the Bills. Right, uh, kickoff to open the game, like he was, and that and that caused him to miss a good portion of time, and so. And he had also uh, had a broken foot uh, during uh, the off-season program last year that delayed his start to training camp a little bit. And so there are some things that, you know, I think you could say were out of his control that sort of impacted, you know, the way last year went. But he's really conscientious. He's really smart. You know, his background as, as a receiver in, in high school, also playing that position, I should say, you know, helps him as far as, you know, being somebody that, you know, Stafford can target in the passing game. And so – he certainly got all the all the attributes and characteristics that you'd want for someone who can uh, succeed in that role. And also, they're, they've been doing some different things in the run game compared to what people have seen in the past. While it's you know mostly been a mid zone, outside zone type of, of uh, scheme, they've done some more stuff uh, with gap concepts that I think has helped uh, help Kyron thrive. And they're still figuring that part out, but. Um, collectively, all of those things, I think, put him in a position to to be the, the leader of, the, of this backfield and running back rotation. So you live in Santa Monica, Stu, uh, and I'm looking at it here. The new stadium for the Rams, which is obviously gorgeous, right, is just outside mm-hmm. of Inglewood. I think it's just kind of south of Inglewood over by LAX. 
Uh, it's about 12 miles from Santa Monica where you live. That basically, for Indianapolis conversion, is like from Monument Circle where we are right now to 96th and Interstate 69. Uh, how long would it take you to go from Santa Monica to the stadium? On game days, home game days, it only takes me no more than 20 minutes. Not bad. Believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. I, be- I mean, okay. I also get there pretty early, so that might be part of it way before, you know, parking lots and things like that open. But, yeah, it's pretty nice. What about on a Wednesday morning? I mean, I realize you're not going there on a Wednesday morning. You're only going there on game days. But, you know, in a regular, like, rush hour traffic in L.A., it would take how long? Uh, Probably at least 30, 35 minutes. And that's assuming that there aren't any uh, – any accidents see that's not terrible though like because here's the things too i love love southern california and los angeles i mean i just think i'm envious of you man i I think it is absolutely gorgeous like every day feels like a vacation it's 72 sunny every day you realize there's a reason like 15 million people live down there right love everything about it oh yeah it's great but don't get me wrong i I, I still there's times I still miss, you know, all my friends and family that live back home in Indianapolis. And, um, you know, that's one of the exciting things about uh, every time the Rams get the chance to play the, the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indy. So uh, I do enjoy it out here, but I, I'm also looking forward to uh, a quick trip back home. Do you miss the seasons like if you are so you grew up in Indy, right? Yes, sir. OK, so when you live in a place like Los Angeles, where the weather is essentially the same all year round. I mean, Christmas time, it's, you know, 65, 55, whatever. Do you actually miss the cold weather in the seasons after a while, even though it's gorgeous paradise there? Does it get monotonous? I can't say it does, mainly because any time I think about that, I think about the times when I had to maybe shovel the driveway or scrape <laughs> ice off my car, and That's I'm like, exactly right. you know, when when the worst I can do I have to deal with out here is, is a little bit of rain in the wintertime. I'm like I, I can de- I can deal yeah. with that. That's manageable. It's like my buddy from Phoenix told me. I go, man, how do you live in 115 degree temperatures? And he goes, well, let's put it this way: it doesn't take me any longer to get down the driveway. I go, well, that's a good <laughs> yeah. point. It's a real good point, right? Yep. Um, okay, Stu. Last question, and I usually ask this each week of the guests that we have on that are previewing the team, and I appreciate your time and illuminating us on the Rams. So I'll p- give you the same question I gave a week ago to our buddy Nestor in Baltimore. Uh, you get up Monday morning and you click on the website and it says, you know, Rams defeat the Indianapolis Colts. They did that because they were able to do what and don't say score more points. What is it that the Rams want to do to set their own pace? That means they're going to be able to execute what area? Pass protection. Uh, just thinking about a defensive line or a defensive front with DeForest Buckner and Zaire Franklin and how well, well they've played for Indianapolis so far this season and in the past, obviously. I think it's and, – and when you take into account the injuries the Rams had on the offensive line against the Bengals Monday night, uh, got to be, gotta be great in pass pro and, and limit those guys' impact and make sure you give, cha- you give Stafford excuse me, a chance to make those throws because if you don't, it could be it could be a, a long game, and uh, on on the other side of that too, I would also say just kind of what I mentioned earlier as far as the things the Rams defense needs to do, just making sure that if Anthony Richardson does in fact clear concussion protocol and is and is available and plays on Sunday, making sure that uh, you know you're keeping contained and, and not letting him escape the pocket to make those off schedule plays, but especially making sure that he doesn't beat you with his legs as he as he uh, almost did with. Uh, 
going against the uh, Texans. Okay, so aside from obviously the the health issues on the offensive line, and the Colts do have a pretty so far. Again, three games is not a season make, but the Colts look like they might have a fairly aggressive pass rush. But aside from that area. The one area that you think the Rams probably feel is the most susceptible that they're hoping Indianapolis is not able to take advantage of is what? I'd, I'd, I'd go back to the offensive line again, again, just because they're starting left tackle. Alaric Jackson had a suffered what is, was as a, a hamstring injury against against the Bengals, and then uh, they're starting right guard Joe Nopum, who's. A, who was a full participant or estimated as a full participant yesterday after sustaining a knee injury against the Bengals. Uh, those are, those are two key injuries to monitor. And so uh, you got to make sure those guys are, are healthy and uh, making sure that if, if they are healthy, that they're, they're playing to the best of their ability. Cause again, like I mentioned with, with the talent the Colts have on their defense, defensive front, pass protection has got to be the most important thing. So Stu, you're the pride of which central Indiana high school? Carmel High School. Carmel High School. All right. So, be honest. I won't be offended. When you knew that you were doing this interview, you did or did not alert anybody in, from Carmel High School, be it family or friends, that you're going to be on the radio in Indianapolis? Uh, I did not, just because usually I, – I mean, I tried to retweet it or whatever, repost, whatever it's called now on that website, uh, and give people a little bit of a heads up. But uh, I didn't just because usually – uh, family does a good and friends do a good job of um, you know staying alert when so, so your parents have no up. idea that you're on the radio right now in Indianapolis even though they live in Carmel or your you know your friends or whoever it is that you would most see often when you come back to Indiana they don't but the great thing is you guys upload this to your website right so I can send them the link and okay help you with that so so now. based on that give me the three people you want to say hello to when they're going to be listening on the website go ahead and do your Carmel shout out I'm a North Central guy and I'm going to allow this go ahead okay well I, I appreciate that North Central's got a great radio program too so uh, I, I want to give a shout out to my mom Linda uh, whether you're watching now or if you're uh, playing it back on on the website I also give a shout out to my dad, John, whether you're listening live or playing it back on the website. We know they're uh, not listening live. No. It's okay, Stu. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't know this radio uh, program exists until you tell them about it. Yeah. And then uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, Brian Spillbeller, my uh, high school radio instructor. He's no longer teaching radio at, at Carmel, but a uh, big, big part in getting me to where I am today. And so if he is listening, um, in any capacity, uh, appreciate him. Hey, Stu, do you drive a Peugeot by chance? I do not. Did you know the CEO of Peugeot is Linda Jackson? She's a Brit. That's not your mom, is it? <laughs> I, it it's not. I was uh, Indianapolis born and raised, and, and never never lived in. <laughs> that would be very awkward life, if your so. mom was the CEO of Peugeot and you're rolling around in a Volkswagen. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Stu, enjoy the uh, the time out there and I guess the In-N-Out Burger and their shoestring fries and certainly enjoy your time when you get to come back home here on the Rams bill. Certainly. Thank you so much, Jake and Jimmy, for having me on and uh, you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Stu. Appreciate it. Uh, Stu Jackson from therams.com. And again, you mentioned rams.com was – you remember fever.com? When the Indiana Fever first were – announced as the WNBA expansion franchise in Indiana. Everybody's like, oh, awesome. Let me go to fever.com. It had different connotation. <laughs> I think a, once upon a time it was, it was the same with Rams.com. So Rams.com is actually like home loans. Really? Yes. 
Okay. Home loans, customers, knowledge center, weird. yeah. It Calculators was, it was, and resources, yeah. Weird. It was a park domain on my phone yesterday. Rams are basically just male sheep, right? Is that right? Believe so. So what's the female sheep? If a ram is a male sheep, what, what's the female sheep? Do we know? No. We don't know. Well, you That's should know everything like about sheep. You waited five hours in line for an iPhone. <laughs> do, do we know? What, what, well, what's, played. What's, well played. What's the female? Can you look? Is it a U? Is it a U? Is that it? I didn't wait five hours. I had an appointment. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you made an appointment. Yes, it is. Is it a U? Yes. How about that? Now, how do you spell it? Oh, that'd be E. Okay. <laughs> Eddie. You're talking to the Allisonville Elementary no, uh, see, School 1984 see, it's spelling bee runner-up. It's not for you. It's for our listening audience here. U. E-W-E. U. Is that right? Correct. Do we have a ding on that? Ding. And so then, the, the, the so there's the U and the Ram, and they go together, right? Mm-hmm. And then, do they have a, they don't have a lamb, right? Is a, a lamb's different? What's a baby sheep? What's a baby sheep called? Do we know? That's not a goat, right? Are they, are they all related? It's just, it is a lamb. Right are the goat and the sheep cousins of the ram and the ewe? Which one is? Like if the it's ram, called a lamb. Like, uh, I'll put it to uh, It is a lamb? Yeah. Okay. So like when a ram and a ewe have a kid, you send the ram a card congratulating him on his baby ewe or on his baby lamb, right? Yes. Okay. And if it's a boy, then it's a baby lamb. It's a ram lamb, right? <laughs> is that right? And if it's a girl, it's a you lamb. Is yes. that it? I thought the whole okay. point of company expansion was that we had other people to answer these questions. We when don't you have throw a director of agriculture, guys. And even though that's not agriculture, it kind of is because if you're a farmer, you probably have rams and sheep and ewes and, and lambs, right? I would think so. Okay. So now what about. Uh, so so she, they're both sheep? Like when you go to the yes. state fair and there's a sheep barn, that means there's. Why are there, why are there no horn fellas in there? Why are there no rams? Safety hazard. <laughs> Is that it? I mean, honestly, <laughs> that might be it, right? I don't know. Noise limitations. Too noisy with all the horns in there. I don't know. Why, why do they not have the rams there? Did, the you stu- did you study for the spelling bee win? No, my he mom said got runner me. up. Oh, the spelling bee uh, runner up? I'm sorry. Excuse me. I thought it was a win, but now I Eddie could have swore you me. said runner up. Is, is Eddie? Oh, I, I thought you were correcting that I clearly didn't study because I was the runner up. I was runner up on the bio. Now that I listen, think about it, I've told this story so many times on the radio. People probably are familiar with it, but I'm going to repeat it real quick. In 1984, Allisonville Elementary School spelling bee. Huge. You deal. have 64 seconds. Huge deal. Oh, that's easy. I can do this in four, but I'll take all 64. Thank you. <laughs> so. My mom bought me a brand new purple OP shirt with a hood, which for just for the spelling bee, but my mom couldn't come. It was a big deal. The whole school's there. Parents are there. It's a big deal. So I have my new OP shirt and I'm like, well, I got an OP shirt out of it. So I'm good to go. Right? Like I'm good to go. I don't need anything else. I got the OP shirt. We go through it and they literally just do it in alphabetical order. A's, B's, C's, whatever. And I'm, I'm flying through. I'm killing it. I'm doing well. I'm confident. Everything's So I get up, we get to the C's. It's myself and Jody Shear. We're the last two, okay? I've known Jody since kindergarten. So we're up there. It's Jody Shear and myself. They ask me. I go first, and they go, okay, car fare. And I say car fare. C-A-R-F-A. And then I thought of the scene from Breaking Away where they had all the flags in the cars that were for sale, and I went, I-R. Ooh, that's incorrect. Jody will win if she can spell the following word. Car hop. <laughs> There's never been anything more rigged and ridiculous <laughs> in my life, and I love Jody Shear, but every time I see her, I'm like, come on now, car hop, seriously? Uh, Ted Karras is going to join us. He's the head football coach at Marion, and he's next. 
The Marion Knights undefeated 3-0, fifth in the NAIA polling. And joining us as he will and as he has for a select number of appearances on Query and Company during the Marion Knights football season, it's the head coach himself, Ted Karras Jr., back in the fold. Coach, how are we? Doing good, fellas. Doing great, actually. Bengals won on Monday night. We're rolling up for a big homecoming game this Saturday. As a matter of fact, the Bengals, you could you could just deliver from your son's cliff notes on how to beat the Rams. You should just drive those over to West 56th Street. We're all good, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. It was a hard-fought win, but uh, it was good to see him get a win, though. Hey, for you guys here, coming off, speaking of hard-fought wins, 45-14, you beat Olivet Nazarene. Uh, now yep. you've got Lawrence Tech coming up. That's a homecoming game. That's going to be this Saturday here in Indy at Marion, 105 kick. Tickets available, and as I always mention, a bargain at twice the price at muknights.com. Coach, you most like, obviously it goes without saying, you're undefeated, you're ranked fifth, you're scoring points, but give me the area that maybe even pleasantly surprises you where you're sleeping a little easier because you were a little bit concerned about a certain area of your football team that so far they have calmed your nerves. What would it be? Um, I don't know if I was necessarily overly concerned, but it was really good last week to see getting our vertical passing game going. Um, you know, we're running the ball a lot. You guys were controlling the ball on average the first three games, 40 minutes a game. Um, and we just didn't have maybe as many explosive plays I'd like to see early on, but we had a lot uh, last week. Um, so getting, you know, T-Ray Spence back was a big, was a big deal that really helped us. Jalen Jennings is obviously doing a good job and Zach Bundelow's, you know, throwing the rock around actually had a career best last week. So getting that passing game going was was big. Coach, how balanced is this group? When you go look box score by box score, I understand it's all been W's. You've been stacking up to where they go. But one day it's been a dominant rushing attack. One day it's been key interceptions. The other day it's been the passing game. How dominant are the, are the 2023 Knights from a balanced standpoint? I think we're very balanced. I think we're playing really good complementary football, you guys. Our defense is scoring touchdowns. We had two pick sixes, one from Tyler Buecher right in the end zone, which was a dream for a D lineman. Reese Walker had one. We had Jalen Jennings return a touchdown on a kickoff return. T-Ray Spence, 89-yard you know, bomb. So that's really nice when all three phases of your team can score, and, that, and that's, really been, that's really been great thus far. Coach, which is, from a coaching standpoint, this always fascinates me. Ted Karras Jr., the head coach of the Marion Knights, joins us. Which do you think is harder to do as a coach? To approach a team and say, we are going to be identified by this style and we are going to practice it to perfection to the point where people are going to have to come and beat us. Or to say, we are going to kind of tailor the way that we approach games based on what the opponent is providing and what we see on tape. And we are going to be a versatile group that has the ability to execute a couple of different ways, which is a bigger challenge from a coaching standpoint. The latter, but that's the way I prefer it too. I mean, you have to be able to improvise and adapt, you know, on a daily basis, but also in the course of a game. You know, last week, all of it stacked us with a five-man line which we didn't necessarily prepare for as well, but we had other things to go to, which helped us. So I would, I, I would say the latter, and you always have to follow the path of least resistance, and um, that's what we've been able to do. And so obviously when it comes to adapting and making that, you know, being versatile, that probably more so is reactionary versus being, 
coming out and being aggressive and presenting a completely different look, right? Like, in other words, you only go to that audible more often than not when it's out of necessity. Is that a fair statement? I'd say that's a fair statement. Yep, we have our plan of what we want to do, but we have alternate plans of what we need to do if we're getting certain looks or certain things are happening throughout the course of a game. In terms of the expectation, and the expectation's there, right? Um, We know that. I mean, kids know now when they're going to Marion, you know, young guys are going there, and they know that they are going there to compete for a national championship, quite frankly, because it's been won there. But uh, how do you guard against complacency? Well, I I preach the team we got to carry ourselves, you know, hungry, number one, and humble. Um, You know, we, you know, we may be ranked fifth, but this team hasn't really done anything yet. So, you know, these guys haven't haven't tasted a, you know, a national championship yet. So, you know, I I don't, I don't sense any complacency at all. I sense that we're pretty hungry and we got to keep, you know, being that way. Head coach of the Marion Knights, Sid Karras Jr. with us on Query and Company. Coach, fresh off the bye week, what was the point of emphasis for your group in the off week? Um, one was to get healthy. Two was to bond a little bit. We, uh, I hosted an annual thing that I did the first time here, the seniors, coaches, managers, captains uh, outing. We did it at the back nine. It was a good time to bond after Thursday's practice. We really only had two practices. We got our picture in on Wednesday, so we did some things that we couldn't get in in training camp. So basically get healthy. You know, catch up on some things that you, you know, during the course of the season, sometimes you're not able to do. And uh, they came back ready to go this week. We've had a good uh, three days of practice. Looking for another one today. Coach, as I had mentioned in terms of the expectations at Marion, and we've talked about this, you and I have talked about this before. You know, Mm -hmm. you come into this program, I've always said, one of the things I love about Marion is the growth of the football program, the athletic program in general really kind of mirrors the growth of the university i mean every time i drive down cold springs i'm like holy cow like it's it you know it's bigger buildings and and nursing schools and graduate programs you know it's really impressive but you hard to believe over 10 years ago you won an naia national championship back in 2012 so that's your gold standard where does this team rank in comparison to that one what ways are they similar and do they have the same level that can get them to that same plateau as hard as it, it remains to be seen. I mean, we got a great group. We got an older group, and that's what we had in 2012. I'm so thankful for, you know, the many seniors that maybe weren't coming back in December that decided to after they saw, you know, what we were doing. Um, but really, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a decade later. I mean, we, but we do run the ball the same way that we did in, in 12, so that's, that's big. We, and we got seasoned, you know, veteran players in some leadership roles. So those are some comparisons that can propel you you know, to a national championship. Coach, I know the biggest thing when you returned is returning Marion to a championship caliber level and contending for championships and winning football games. But I imagine one of the more underrated aspects of your return is getting to be a part of family events like this, like family weekend, like homecoming. I know you're locked in and ready for Lawrence Tech, but when you step away from this matchup, what are you most looking forward to for friends, family, and Mary Knight alums that are going to be there on Saturday? Well, for certainly seeing all the, you know, the old players and the original players, you know, and I, I love seeing them. We had a little uh, a function a couple weeks ago and now, you know, big homecoming. Um, just seeing them, seeing them now with kids is amazing, you know, as time flies. And just, you know, thanking them for all the work in, in, you know, they put in back in the day and the belief they had, you know, to get us to the ultimate, you know, thing, the ultimate goal. So, 
that's some of the things that I'm looking forward to, a big crowd, and seeing our guys perform well. 1.05 p.m. is the kick on Saturday for Marion Homecoming. I'm looking at it right here, Coach, at MUNites.com. General admission, 10 bucks. You got until basically 4 o'clock on the 30th to buy tickets for 10 bucks, which is a bargain. I said twice the price. That's a bargain at three times the price, right? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> hey, in terms of – I'm curious about this. Every time that you play a game, you know, you've got – potentially kids from the area that are coming out maybe even younger kids that are coming out to, to see marion play they want it they their parents want them you know have a chance to go out and see a college football game you have to be aware obviously of the example that that is setting and and showing kids from central indiana is it and i've probably asked you this before but do you notice that it's that you now are getting that it's becoming easier to recruit or that you have a brand equity amongst high school football players in Central Indiana versus five to ten years ago? Oh, absolutely. There's a brand equity. Yes, after when you know two titles in the program in what seventeen years, and and we're winning records. Um, so yes, there's definitely a brand equity, and it's just a matter of now picking the guys that we want to be around for the next four and five years. You know, we we're not going to recruit as big a class as we had in the past. We do have still 148 on the roster. We're going to graduate some, but it's going to be a select class. Um, but that's a, that's a good you know, position to be in a lot better than, you know, 10 years ago, I feel. You know, one of the things about roster building at the collegiate level that has always fascinated me, Coach, Ted Karras is our guest, you have a unique opportunity because, sure, you want to win football games and that's the ultimate goal. I mean, I get it. But you're also providing an opportunity for, for young people to advance in education, to open things up towards setting them up for you know their adult life in terms of their career. And sometimes that does mean taking on a kid that maybe is getting a second chance or taking on a kid that if you don't extend that lifeline to them, their life goes down the wrong path. How do you balance it? How do you figure out exactly how many kids like that you're willing to take on I'm assuming you have to trust your other leaders on your roster to be able to lift those kids up, but it's an important job. So how do you balance all of it? That is an important job. That's a good, that's a good one. I mean, I, I'm a guy that's given a lot of guys chances over my years, not just only at Marion university, but other places I've been. And it's hard to balance. It's more of a feel thing, you know, as you, you're meeting that young man that, you know, does want an opportunity to get an education and play football I don't think there's any exact science to it. It's more of a feel thing. But one thing about me is I'll give, I'll give a lot of guys chances. Um, I, I'm really believing that. And, uh, you know, and at Marion, we're going to develop you not only athletically, but academically and spiritually. The 3-0 Marion Knights, fifth-ranked in NAIA, homecoming and family day, taking on Lawrence Tech this Saturday at 105. Coach, best of luck. I look forward to talking to you a little ways down the road. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate being on. I've got another dumb question for you, Jimmy. You ready for this one? Yes. And again, for those that, that didn't tune in earlier to the program, I'm off kilter all day, right? I, I went and I got the flu shot, and so I'm, I'm kind of wacky on the junk for the day. I told you guys You're yesterday. You're right. This, this is, is very, this is very off-brand, the way the it show is, is yeah, going. Exactly. I agree. So, so as I understand it, knights are from the medieval times, and they wore the big armored suits. I mean, we know this, right? They wore the big knight suits. I mean, I've seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I get it. But here's the thing. Uh, and they were jousting, right? They were running around on horses and jousting people. Were they were they like the military or were they guards? And if so, who were they guarding? Were they just like the the, the king and queen's like guardians? 
I would say so. Yes, the the, the you don't king's think army, were, all the king's mantle. Is, I would say so, but I would also argue, and I don't know. So they were basically just uh, horse patrol cops with with big brass silver outfits to protect them from the other swords. Is that right? I would say so, but I would also argue, and this would have been a great question for Coach Karras when he was here, or maybe somebody higher up in Marion. Maybe it is an ode to the. Uh, crusades perhaps that's got to be it right so you're i mean obviously in marion's case you're talking about uh, as he mentioned you know spiritually speaking now i'm looking up uh, are you looking up nights eddie because what do we do on this program eddie that we used to do in the morning show educate and entertain that's right and we don't do either one of those very well but here's an, a knight is a person granted well i knew this knighthood i knew that right like paul mccartney's a knight elton johnson they get knighted right like sir whatever but i'm talking about the, the old school knights like middle-aged knights. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. Horse, armor, swords. In ancient Rome, there was a mighty, uh, a knightly class. Not a knightly class. I'm not talking about knight school. I want to know what the knights did. That's what I want to know. Early medieval folks, there were well-equipped horsemen that could be described as a knight. Well, again, just because you're a horse that has everything they tricked out doesn't mean you're a knight. They were warriors. Well, who were they what fighting? Want? Whoever. Whoever angered the king of the day i don't i don't know the bandits <laughs> so the so what you're saying the marion knights and the tampa bay bandits would be like some sort of a no, the historical matchup the wet bandits <laughs> okay I'm, the skull bandits i mean what do, we, do you let me ask you do you think people ever listen to this program and think to themselves why no by I, the way why just stop I, stop after why am listen. i tuned into this idiot that's half they have to be thinking that right they would have to listen first to have that opinion but I think there there might be people that listen to this and then every once in a while say to themselves, you know, that's a good question. I'm going to learn a little something today. But I feel like you did learn a handful of things that you already knew about knights and now we're dissatisfied with the information that we you had a zoology re-learned. lesson last segment. So, I mean, why not add a night segment or night lesson into it? <laughs> I know. It appears as though there are multiple kinds of knights. Sure. You got the medieval knights. You got the Elton John knights. You got the Bob Knights. You got all kinds of knights doing all kinds of stuff, right? Knights all over the place. Yeah. Knights of Columbus. Yes. I mean, and and, and that's another thing. The Knights of Columbus. Columbus where? Do we know? <laughs> Is that Christopher Columbus's knights or did that group start in Ohio? No. 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 The, okay. Yeah. No. Aren't you guys glad that you're part of this program today? I am. I'm a- ecstatic to be if, part if you of the don't company. mind me saying so i gave you fair warning yesterday did i not i do love coming to the company every single day <laughs> <laughs> well eddie we we appreciate your enthusiasm as an employee you'll be getting a small little award for that at our end of year banquet thank you i got a promotion you earlier know, today so i our, feel great you know where our end of year banquet takes place where's that at the knights of columbus there you we just go. have to find out exactly who it's named for that's the only thing that we're worried about at this point right well it's a catholic group it is yes okay I'm I'm going I'm going to correct in that I'm going to get myself undercut here. My father was a member of the Knights of Columbus, but I I'm not. I have some calls I could make to better educate myself as far as okay. Here's an official explanation of medieval knights. Okay, knights were the most feared and best protected warriors on the medieval battlefield. While off it, they were amongst the most fashionably dressed and best mannered members of society. Oh, so I was a knight. I knew as you were going along with that. Oh, look, it's me. Uh, Like, literally, they're like, that guy is a warrior when he puts on that silver outfit. But outside of it, he's always got great watches and colognes. And his hair looks great because he goes to the 459 Barber Lounge. That's exactly what they're saying. For some people, they see knight. For others, they see jester. It's hard to say which one it is. Okay, here we go. Requirements to become a knight. Yeah. Are you ready? Back in the day. 55 bottles of cologne. Aristocratic birth. Training from childhood. Money for weapons. Horses and squires and a knowledge of the rules of chivalry. 
well, okay, so right there, I'm I'm pretty much like 0 for 9. But then I've got a strong case. Good looks. There you go. Fine clothing, a striking coat of arms, and an ability to recite poetry and songs were optional, but poetry, I could do that. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near. The only other sounds. That, I mean, you know, Robert Frost, I can do that. I'm good looking. Hell, bring over the sterling silver. Let's go, right? I'm just saying. Unfortunately, me and Eddie are squires in this scenario, regrettably. Squires, by the way, the Virginia ABA team, the Virginia Squires. I know this because Billy Shepard was my coach at YMCA basketball when I was a kid. Scotty Shepard was on my team. Billy Squire, uh, excuse me, Billy Shepard, not Billy Squire, showed up wearing a Virginia Squires shirt, and some kid asked him who the squirrels were. (laughs) And and I love Billy Shepard, love him, but I don't know that he wore the Squires thing after that, you know? Uh, anyway, Matt Taylor is the voice of the Colts, mercifully going to join us coming up at 2 o'clock. We'll get kind of the Colts' standpoint on things. The latest on Anthony Richardson, Ryan Kelly, in terms of being back out on the practice field, but we'll also update you on what that means in terms of their concussion protocol. We will do all of that as we kick off the 2 o'clock hour coming up with the voice of the Colts. It is Query and Company. You're listening to it on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It appears as though I've angered you guys. Todd Todd Meyer was angry about my night question until he realized that it segued to playing this, and now all of a sudden he's the happiest guy on the planet. He's like Chris Kringle in here. It's Christmas. Indeed. Who brought you this? Todd came in and said, you got to play the song. Look, I'm not afraid to admit my areas of intellectual shortcoming. I'm not. I'm not even saying that you're having intellectual shortcomings. All I'm saying is, is that I felt like we gave you an adequate answer, but then you wanted more. I, 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 so we've determined that knights are any group of people over a 700 year period that dress themselves in sterling silver. That's a knight, right? I don't know if it's sterling silver. <laughs> <laughs> any sort of armor. How's that? I would that? say so. Yeah. When, when, when you had two countries feuding or at war together, it was battling of knights. I drank body armor water yesterday. Does that make me a knight? I mean, have you been knighted? Well, I should be. Let me tell you something. <laughs> um, Anthony Richardson, by the way, has essentially been knighted as the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. That happened for him when he joined the franchise. But the question then becomes, does he now start in this game number four after missing, uh, you know, leaving a game with the concussion protocol, missing the game, obviously, and Gardner Minshew coming in. But where we stand, and Eddie, I want you to kind of rehash for everybody yesterday, Anthony Richardson did practice. He did that practice again today as well. Step one of two for the concussion protocol. The question is: Was today a contact practice? Right? No idea. I mean, he's in the reg non-contact, non-contact jersey, like Jimmy mentioned earlier. So it's hard for us to really tell. But uh, Richardson was out there again today at practice, which all signals point towards him starting on Sunday. Uh, he just has to clean or clear the last step in the concussion protocol, which is the independent neurologist with the Indianapolis Colts. And that okay now independent the key word there though right because that means it's not necessarily a team doctor correct it's an independent outside source no dog in the fight correct easiest way to say it right by the way we don't have the imaging for this but are we bringing back robin the genie with predictions of if he starts or not is it time or are we too far in the week to actually do that now we could do that do we we should come up with do we have any sort of how about magic carpet ride can you play magic carpet ride eddie and we'll play that as part of our robin the genie prediction wheel 
That's by Steppenwolf, by the way, Magic Carpet Ride. And apparently it's also very significant to people who have been initiated into the Lambda Chi fraternity, so I'm told. <laughs> There's a secret meaning to that, but I'm not supposed to know that because I wasn't Lambda Chi, and one of them might have been overserved one night and told me exactly that. But uh, genies ride Magic Carpets, right? So yeah, they're usually associated with magic carpets. So, so if yes. we take a well, aren't you just the king of everything that's associated? Well, knights are usually associated. Well, I'm just with try, that. I'm trying to think back of the only. This is my. How do you not know what here. a genie is? Is this where Todd's supposed to come in and yell at you now too? He hears footsteps, right? No, <laughs> I, I'm saying that if it's not magic carpet, right, it's got to be something off of Aladdin, right? I mean, it has to be something tied to. I, genie, I would. I would think. Totally agree with that. I um, thought genies were associated with lamps here. They, see, yes. again. Indeed. You are correct. So if you play Magic Carpet, I think of a genie as a little fella that's got on uh, some weird looking outfit and a, and a weird hat, and he's riding along on a carpet, and he's got a little lamp with him, right? And the, the little lamp dealio. Well, usually the genie is trapped in the lamp, and you rub the lamp, that, and the genie yeah, is free. You know what? You're right about that. But don't they usually carry some little thing with them? Or is that the thing they came out of? Thing they came out of the I lamp. think the genie in a bottle, though. Like the Christina Applegate is a genie in a bottle. Sure. So does a genie come out of the bottle or the lamp? Depends what side of the mythical culture Here we you're go looking again. at. <laughs> I'm just saying. It depends which group of knights have. Are the you guys lamp starting to bottle. figure out why when I did the morning show I was often tired because I didn't sleep a lot at night? <laughs> this stuff would keep me up. So the genie coming out. Let's go ahead and say it now. Um, yes, I believe that Anthony Richardson is going to play on Sunday. As do I. As yes. do we. I mean, it, the it eyes does, have it. Huzzah! There you go. Back to night. Culture. I mean, it does seem like all. Now, the other question is Ryan <laughs> Kelly, and Ryan Kelly might be actually the more important piece. Um, even though I think Ryan Kelly, in terms of the the backup play that you got out of Wesley French, I, you know, it wasn't a huge drop off, clearly. But Ryan Kelly is an important piece to that line and keeping the solidarity of the line, and he's the other one to watch. Now, he has practiced as well, right, Eddie? Uh, correct. Blue jersey on yesterday, yes. right? Okay, so it appears as though uh, he will be on the mend as well. But we'll find out more about that uh, and the rest that's going on out on West 56th Street when Matt Taylor joins us next. Now, Eddie, do we have somebody disparaging the great predictor Nostradamus on the chat? Yes. In what way? Add an extra S and put dumb in front of it. And they're saying that about me? Yes. Okay. He's Could actually a regular. Me. I think he's a routine color, Derek White. Yeah. Every once in a while, Derek's I think he's even Derek got a position Derek. within the company. It's correct. He's who the, does He's it? the director of veteran affairs. Um, Derek's a great dude. I just talked to him yesterday, but that that truly hurts me. I mean, you, you listen. I graduated 482 in my graduating class of high school, so don't be calling me a, a dumb, right? And that guy's going to look like a big fool when IU goes into the big house and stuns Michigan. You know what? October 14th. Thank you for mentioning You're that, Jimmy. Yep. Mm-hmm. October 14th, the college football world is going to be absolutely put – I mean, literally, things are going to stop spinning except for that everybody's going to be in a tizzy because Indiana is going to stun the world by going into the big house and beating the Michigan Wolverines. 105,000 people at an average age of 105 are going to sit in stun silence on their hands while the Indiana Fighting Hoosiers go in and beat them. The yep. Tom Allen snaps are going to be on point that day. I can tell you that. Don Fisher will be going crazy. Did you see the guy yet? I know Matt Taylor's waiting. I did. We got to get to uh, what happened yesterday during the Indiana Coaches Show that was a little bit awkward. But speaking of awkward, let's do a very smooth segue here into the voice of the Colts. He is also a spokesperson for Quarry and Company. 93.5107.5 The Fan is where you're listening to this program. You can also hear Matt Taylor's voice calling the Colts game, of course, against the Los Angeles Rams coming up in week number four, Sunday from Lucas Oil Stadium. Matt, we'll begin with this right to the meat of the matter, and that is, of course, 
the the condition or updates of Anthony Richardson and Ryan Kelly, and it does appear as though things are trending in the direction where they're going to play on Sunday, but I assume we have no definitive answer there, correct? That's right. That's right. You know, if you want awkward, I'm your guy. So we can just pick <laughs> that's up there. Right. <laughs> I can make it incredibly awkward. Uh, I got a master's degree in that. Just ask every girl I asked out in high school. Um, but no, you're right. We're uh, things are looking good. We're turning in the right direction, as they say. And <clears throat> excuse me, they um, they're at practice right now. And uh, yesterday was a full day of practice for both guys. I anticipate, uh, unless something weird happening, both days uh, both guys will be full again today which is another good sign and we'll hear from Shane Steichen tomorrow on their status for Sunday and Matt one of the things and I wanted to to go over this we we kind of glossed over this a few minutes ago but am I correct in saying this or is uh, of my understanding of it the last step for either Anthony Richardson or Ryan Kelly or any player to be able to clear and come off of a concussion protocol is for an independent doctor that has no direct affiliation with the franchise. So in other words, an objective observer has to be able to give them the clearance that they are okay to go. Is that a correct statement? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the last couple of steps are just clearing the the medical hurdles, if you will. So it would be passing, uh, you know, the the step where your own medical staff, uh, you know, test you for a concussion so you have to clear that and then as you said the third party you know the the unbiased uh independent neurologist would then come in and then those players would have to clear that uh, step as well to be able to come back on the game field it was a win in baltimore it was an impressive win and a good win but even with that in the national football league you were always striving for improvement when Shane Steichen and the Colts look back on the game against Baltimore, what is the area that they need to clear up? What is the area that they look at and say, even though we got to win, this is something that maybe can be problematic if we don't start really dialing it in? Well, you're right. I mean, anytime you get a win, it's always better to reflect on that game in terms of improvement, you know, more so than a loss. But you know, I, I still think at times, you know, Lamar Jackson had his had his moments and he still made plays. And you go back and look at the the box score of that game, the Colts still gave up 100 and I want to say 180, 190 rushing yards. Obviously, you know, when you play a team like the Ravens and you have a quarterback that can do so much like Lamar Jackson, it's going to put, you know, it's going to put stress on you and it's going to be tough for 60 minutes and, you know, those those players are elite for a reason, but you want to be able to consistently do a better job of holding down, you know, things at the point of attack. Although, you know, kind of speak out of you know both sides of your mouth when you say that because you, know, you look at this team so far, it seems like they're doing a really good job against the rush, but they've just given up some some big rushes and some big plays at some inopportune times. Um, so consistently, you know, being better, you know, along that defensive line. Um, but again, it's. It's it's pretty much uh, you know what what we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the season with the superior play of the defensive tackles. I think the biggest thing that I think most Colts fans uh, are, are surprised by and, and and pleasantly surprised by is just the pass rush on the outside. You right, the defensive ends uh, I think are ahead of schedule from what we saw at the end of training camp with Quiddy Pay with three sacks and. Samson Ebicom with two, you know, they have a strip sack and a cause fumble and a fumble recovery now in three consecutive games. 
So that's that's really, really encouraging. Um, but I would just say, you know, limiting the damage to some of the, the marquee players that you're seeing on the opposing sidelines. You know, game one, it was Calvin Ridley going over 100 yards. And game two, it was Nico Collins in this game. Again, Lamar Jackson didn't have a ton of big plays in the fourth quarter in overtime, but he did do damage in the first three quarters, and the Colts again gave up you know, 180-plus yards rushing. So um, those would be the things that I think on defense you'd want to learn from. Offensively, it's, it's trying to find more balance, you know, trying to find more big plays in the passing game. I think for the season, you know, the Colts' yards per attempt is well under 7.5. That's always kind of the benchmark of where teams want to be in the passing game to get explosive plays. For the most part this season, whether that's Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew, the passing game's been pretty much, you know, short pickups, intermediate throws, you know, stay on schedule type of completions, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But in every game, you're going to be forced to make a play, push the ball down the field, you know, stretch the field, you know, win and complete a contested pass outside the numbers down the field, that kind of thing. And the Colts were able to do that in the fourth quarter, you know, that completion of Michael Pittman Jr., that switch field position. So um, just more of those types of plays on a consistent basis on offense. But, I think through through two games, you like what you see, and you're just trying to tweak, and you're trying to get better marginally here and there going into a, a stretch of time in the schedule here where you're going back home, four of your next five are at Lucas Oil Stadium, and maybe right now you can start stacking some wins. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joins us. He's brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, only thing I had that you didn't already cover on Baltimore, and I'm sorry to make the story about you, but I'm going to, heck of a call. In your Colts tenure as voice of the Colts, where does that game, the way things unfolded, and ultimately the final call rank for you? That's a good question. I mean, obviously, I mean, Rick and I were both amped up at the at the gun there in fourth quarter, uh, or excuse me, in overtime. Um, so it, it's up there. I think it, it was just so refreshing to have a game like that and, and to to call a game like that because you know at, at the end of the day, this is going to sound corny and cheesy, but you're just hoping to, you know, enhance the the game day experience for for the average fan. And you know, when you're in tight games like the Colts were seemingly every game in 2022, and they weren't able to to bring those home, it just got frustrating. I know for for everybody, you know, fans and coaches and players and just across the board. So, you know, it's just refreshing to see the best players for the Colts step up and win a game in crunch time. And those were the moments where they kind of, you know, fell short last year. You know, the Colts had six games last year decided by one score. Uh, you know, they had a couple of overtime games that didn't didn't go their way. It was just, you know, I go back to what Chris Ballard said at the at the end of last year, uh, back in January at, at his uh, closing press conference in 2022. He's like, our best players just got to play better. You know, we got too much talent on this team you know, to be four twelve and one. Um, and it was great to see the the guys that are getting paid, you know, big money and big contracts and uh, a lot invested in, in these players in terms of free agency dollars and draft picks. You know, Quentin Nelson plays like a stud. Same thing with Michael Pittman Jr., DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, Zaire Franklin. I mean, uh, the list goes on and on and on. The Colts' best players played better than the Ravens' best players, and that's what the Colts have been looking for in terms of consistency and crunch time for the last couple of years. So on, on my end, it was good to call 
you know, a game winner in a, in a game that could have gone either way. And the last couple of years, those games have not gone the Colts' way. Matt, one of what I thought was, Matt Taylor's our guest. He's the voice of the Colts. He's joining us right now to talk not only about the Baltimore game, but preview with the Rams as well. Um, one of the things that I thought was really key, I, I thought the play of the game was, and I hope I've got, I say that, and then I hope I got the right player, um, Late in the game, I think it was the end of the regulation, when Tucker had to kick the 61-yard field goal that fell short, mm-hmm. that was pushed back and would not have been – I mean, it would have been an automatic for him, except for that I believe it was Pay got the, the tackle for loss leading up to that, which pushed Tucker back that much more. I say mm-hmm. that only because – and I said this on Monday, and I want your reaction to it. I thought that was a Chris Ballard win, that game, because as much as Chris Ballard has been criticized, notably by myself at times, the players that really stepped up in that game, Matt, and made plays were guys that Chris Ballard either basically professed his patience and asked for patience to let those guys develop, or that he was criticized for going out and signing in the first place, like Matt Gay and the contract he gave him. And those were the players. That's why I thought it was a cool win for Indianapolis, because it was a collection of guys making plays, some of which had really been questioned about being out there. Do you agree with that? No, totally. I mean, outside of of Samson Ebicom, they didn't do a lot in free agency uh, at, at, at defensive end, you know, pass rusher. And, you know, you're just basically kind of handing over the responsibilities to two young guys that are going into year number three that had never been double-digit sack performers in Dio Adengbo and Quiddy Pay. And, you know, right on cue, to your point, Quiddy makes a huge play, you know, with under a minute to go in, in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, same thing with the free agency class. The, the free agency class gets a lot of feathers in their cap for what they did on Sunday. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, or I mentioned Ebicom, Matt Gay's heroics, how about Taven Bryan? Taven Bryan's got two sacks, and he's playing about 30% of the snaps so far this season, and he's spelling DeForest Buckner and is allowing Buckner to get some uh, some time on the sidelines that he really hasn't been afforded the first couple of years with the Colts. Um, you know, Gardner Minshew. I mean, Minshew comes in off the bench in game two and plays seven quarters, you know, from game two to game three and completes about 400 uh, you know, with their throws for 400 passing yards, completes about 66% of his passes, two touchdowns, no picks, more importantly, no turnovers. And the Colts go 2-0 and with a, with a backup quarterback. I mean, so that, that's a huge win for, you know, the vision for Chris Ballard. And, you know, it's, it's tough as a general manager. Like, it's, it's tough to balance contracts and the salary cap and player performance and player demands and all of that stuff. I mean, it's really tough to balance all of this stuff. And, you know, any GM will tell you, anytime you roll the dice at a position group, um, it's not always going to work out. You know, we, we've seen that. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say we've seen that in, in years past under Chris Ballard, where, you know, he's he's allowing guys to kind of step up and grow and take on a, a bigger role, and it just doesn't come to fruition. I mean, that's just life in the NFL. I mean, no GM is going to bat a thousand, but this year his vision for the pass rush has been really impressive, and you didn't necessarily see that obviously in training camp. Like it was kind of, kind of still a lingering question coming out of camp, going into the season, just how impactful this pass rush is going to be. 
And right now they're on pace for like 68 sacks. They got 12 through three games. They lead the NFL on tackles for loss. They lead the NFL in forced fumbles. So it's been a very impactful uh, pass rush to this point of the season. That's a credit to, obviously, the guys. It's a credit to Nate Ollie, the position coach. But Chris Ballard's vision for not only the pass rush group, but I think you know the defense as a whole, You know what he wanted to see out of Gardner Minshew as a backup in case something happened to Anthony Richardson, which we were already seeing. Um, so I, I think, yeah, Chris Ballard deserves a lot of credit for uh, being patient, Believing in these guys, knowing that just because they haven't done it before doesn't mean they can't do it. In the case of Adangbo and Quiddy Pay and some other guys on the roster, uh, but yeah, he deserves some credit for just the vision for for putting this team together. And um, you know, I think the Colts can continue to surprise a lot of people nationally just on how good they are and how competitive they can be this year. If you were Matt, the director of pregame scouting for the Los Angeles Rams, your job is to look over game film, see the totality of a roster, and then go to the head coach of the Rams, Sean McVay, and say, here you go. This is the blueprint against your next opponent. That person would say what about the areas that the Rams can exploit that is a vulnerability of the Indianapolis Colts? Well, I think it starts with, if I'm the Rams and my objective on Sunday offensively is we got to get the ball to Puka Nakua, and he's kind of their replacement for at least in the production side of things for Cooper. Are, are you saying that just because you look forward to being able to say Puka Nakua r- that routinely? Is, that's, that is an all-pro. That's an all-pro name. It is. It's pretty right. awesome. Yeah. Puka Nakua kind of just rolls off the tongue. That's easy to say. And hopefully we're not saying him getting in the end zone, but he's he's a deadly player, man, and he's only played three games. and He's got like 30 catches for over 330 yards. He's a fifth-round draft pick out of BYU, and He's kind of taking things by storm. And, um, you know, so to me, it's it's making sure I've got a game plan for him. And, again, it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, make sure that the best player on the other team doesn't wreck the game. The Colts historically the last couple of years have had a hard time doing that. And the game plan seemingly would suggest, like, hey, if you stop this guy, it's, it's going to be hard for others to beat you. But I fully expect – the Rams to be creative in how they get him the ball and just how they get him off the line of scrimmage. You know, with a player like him that's still kind of learning the NFL, you know, you want to press him, you want to make sure that you kind of reroute him and and disrupt his route timing, if you will. But they're going to be creative with putting him in stacks, putting him in bunches to get him free releases off the line of scrimmage. So that's objective number one. Um, And also, too, if you just kind of look at how the Rams are, are put together, uh, you know, they're a young team. They've got 15 rookies. They're, I think, the youngest team in the NFL. So right now on offense, it's kind of like Matthew Stafford and, and, and everybody else, like a gang of, of young guys. And, um, you know, they're obviously much more of a passing team than they are a rushing team. I think they're averaging about 290 passing yards per game. So it's not like they're going to abandon the run, but the run's definitely going to set up the pass. And Stafford at age 35 is still good enough to beat you, but you got to get after him with that offensive line. You know, coincidentally, I think the Colts could face a backup left tackle for the fourth consecutive week this week. And the Rams gave up six sacks, ten pressures on Monday night. They got to fly across the country back to the Midwest. Um, they haven't been great in the red zone, um, so that's kind of led to to Stafford's um, you know wobbly you know touchdown to interception ratio right now, which is at two to four. 
So, listen, it's it's not like the, the 2021 Rams, right? This isn't the team that won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, but they're still an NFL team. And if the Colts – I said this earlier this week, right now the Colts have tasted some success. Well, let's see how the Colts handle some of that success. Hopefully this team doesn't rest on their laurels. I don't think that they will. But now that you know some people around town are talking about the Colts, talking about this team at the water cooler, hopefully that doesn't get to their head because this is still an NFL team in the Rams – that's still plenty talented, still plenty good to come in here and, and get a win at Lucas Oil Stadium. Play-by-play voice of the first place in the AFC South, Indianapolis Colts, Matt Taylor. Nice enough to take some time with us. Brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, you brought up left tackle, but on the opposite side for the Rams, let's stay true to home and look at the Colts left tackle and Bernard Ryman. Haven't heard a ton about him, and by that I mean in a negative connotation over the last couple of weeks. In fact, most advanced stats point him as a top 10 lineman the last couple of weeks but in particular in that matchup this past weekend for you as you're evaluating things and looking at where this team is how far into the season before we could have a serious conversation about Bernard Ryman being a cornerstone lineman for the Anthony Richardson at least beginning of that era I don't think it's I mean, listen, I mean, just me as a fan, as a non-football coach, maybe Jim Bob Cooter or Shane Steichen or you know Tony Sperano Jr., the, the offensive line coach, maybe they'll give you a different story. But I, I'm ready to go there right now. I mean, I think, I mean, I think the work that he put in, he just busted his tail the entire offseason. I mean, I, I wish I had a snapshot of what he looked like, you know, January 14th of 2023 compared to – June 20th or whenever the uh, the offseason workout program broke. He's a different guy. He looks different. Mentality is different. Uh, he's really, really improved. And I think that just speaks to him and his drive and his work ethic. He's just you know bound and determined to, to make this work and to prove the Colts right for you know putting, putting him in a position as a third-round draft pick to take over as the cornerstone left tackle – and be a guy that's, you know, when you're talking about the most important players on offense, it's going to be hard to go, you know, much further down the list outside of Anthony Richardson and Quentin Nelson. And before you get to, you know, maybe Michael Pittman Jr., be, I think the left tackle has definitely got to be in that conversation. So, no, I mean, I think he's had a terrific season so far. I think all the all the nerdy analytics, you know, the, the pro football focus stats will back that up. But, I mean, I, I think the – for from a fan standpoint, the barometer of a left tackle having a great year is that it's week three and no one has said the, the name Bernard Ryman yet. That means he's doing his job. He's not giving up sacks. He's not a liability in the run game or anything like that. So he has really taken, I think, multiple steps from year one to that sophomore campaign. And I think he's, in my opinion, I think he's already there in terms of being solidified as a piece that's going to be here for a long time and a piece you can build around offensively with Anthony Richardson and these, this other you know, core group of, of rookie players that are here, and including Josh Downs in that mix as well. You know, speaking of names, by the way, Matt, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, is our guest. Um, Aaron Donald, I, I, you know, listen, we know what kind of player this guy is, right? He's been a, a one-man wrecking crew at times in his career, maybe a little bit older, but I, I would assume we're going to hear his name a little bit on Sunday. And then I was wondering, is he the best player in the NFL with two first names? 
Now, now let me throw a couple at you, Matt. That you, you tell me if which of these you would you would put over him. Okay, uh, we got and and feel free, guys, to join in with names that I might miss here: Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. I wouldn't say necessarily that I think of Taylor as a first name, but certainly if you look at the news this week, it's up there: Jonathan Taylor and then Aaron Donald. Uh, am I on to something here? Man, that's that's going down. That's going down a road I didn't think we were going to take today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you expect that when you come on here? I that's mean, come every on, day, Matt. Yeah, that's, no, that's it. That's exactly right. Um, I guess you could say Matt Taylor is a guy you don't want to play poker with either. That's two first names. Ah, that's you know what um, you're right. There you go. Right? Yeah. Do you consider yeah. Taylor a first name? I mean, obviously Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say Taylor more for a girl than than for a boy. Um, that's a really good question. Yeah, Aaron Donald, man, he's always like he's got an ace up his sleeve at all times playing a playing a game of Texas Hold'em. It seems like. But, yeah, uh, listen, kidding aside, he's obviously an elite level player, right? I mean, for sure. The the challenge is, do you see with him? I, I think a guy like him, Matt, even when he's, and I'm not by any stretch pretending that he's like ancient, but mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that he doesn't have to make plays to impact plays. Does that make sense? Well, it, it's crazy. I, I saw a stat just just getting ready him, or getting ready for him. I should say last night, uh, was digging uh, on on some of the stuff historically on him since 2017. I think I have this right. It's not in front of me, but since 2017, Aaron Donald has seen the highest rate of double teams in the National Football League, which is that's that's not a surprise at all, right? Even with that. So he has seen the highest percentage of double teams since 2017, and he still leads the NFL in pressure rate at 26% since 2017. So he's got two guys in his face more than any other player in the NFL, and he still has the best, basically, pass rush moves in the league. So that, that just tells you everything you need to know about. You can account for this guy. You can double him. You can chip him. You can you know, roll protection to wherever he is because the Rams do move him along the defensive line. I mean, don't forget, this guy's better than a lot of defensive ends in the NFL too, right? So uh, just because you've got a game plan for him doesn't mean, you know, he's not going to be an impactful player either for himself making plays directly or allowing a linebacker or another defensive tackle to, to get free and take advantage of another matchup in a weak league somewhere else. I just go back to the game two years ago here, and that's the only time the Colts have played the Rams with Donald was uh, 2021, which is kind of weird to say, but that, that's definitely the case. But I just go back to a play, I think it was like in the first half, Colts are near the goal line, and they try to run a shovel pass to Jack Doyle, and they hadn't run that play all year. In fact, they hadn't run it in a couple of years under Frank Reich, and Aaron Donald just destroys the play. Just gobbles up Jack Doyle. Uh, he, he gets in the face of, I think it was Carson Wentz at the time, and then he just, you know, just single-handedly got in the face of the quarterback and made the tackle on the receiver, Jack Doyle, at the goal line, prevented a touchdown. I think the Colts had a kick field goal. So that, that's just the type of player he is, and that's, that's the memory I have of him in a short sample size. In fact, the Colts are one of only four teams in the NFL he has not recorded a sack against. So it's it's you're talking about. I mean, I don't think it's hyperbole. Maybe the best defensive tackle to ever play the game, 
and one of the best defensive players um, that that's ever put on a helmet in the NFL. Matt, I'm asking this to Matt Taylor, the Colts fan, versus Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, and maybe making you step Uh-oh. back in time a little bit since it's before you donned the headset for the horseshoe. At what point in the season, and is it October 15th against the Jaguars? I know it all depends on how they do against the Rams and how they do against the Titans, but if they're 4-1 and one against Jacksonville, at what point does, for Colts fans, winning the South become a, a, a real possibility? Not for the team, but for fans. Well, again, I, 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 I'm only speaking for myself on on this, but I'm already there. Okay. I mean, I'm already, I'm already there. I mean, you look at, I mean, Jacksonville's going to be better. They're going to rebound, and they're not going to play as poorly as they have the last couple of games. Now they are going across the pond for two weeks, right? They got back to back games in London, you know. So it's 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 going to be interesting to see just you know what what they do over there, and then you know the kind of team. You know, they come back as as they play the Colts or host the Colts in a couple of weeks in mid-October. But, I mean, the Titans look – I don't even – I'm trying to be nice. They they don't look good, okay? They, I mean, under 100 yards. They, total they look regressing. How's that? They look regressing. They, no doubt about it. So, I mean, and you, and you already took care of business by two scores against Houston on the road. I, I mean, I don't know. There's no reason why this team can't win the AFC South. I'm, I'm already there. I mean, I, I know, again, you know, the month of October is going to be big for this team. And I just go back to what I said earlier. How does this team handle success? And I know it's only two games, but the fact that they went on the road and beat a Baltimore team and kind of exercised some demons from two years ago when they let that game in, in 21 on Monday Night Football in Week 5 slip away, I just think this team right now is playing with a lot of confidence and they're looking at themselves right now, and they're also looking at their opponents, and then they're saying, there's no one we can't beat. There's no one we can't play with. We've got the quarterback. You know, our defense is humming right now. We've got Pro Bowl players on every level of that defense. Our, our you know, special teams kicker just drilled five field goals over 50 with relative ease with ice water in his veins. Like, we've got everything we need right now to make a push. Now they've got to get some breaks. Uh, things inevitably in the NFL are going to ratchet it up. Like I said, the Jaguars aren't going to be a team. They're not going to look like they do now in, in three, four weeks, certainly in, in you know November, December. So it's going to get tougher, but there's, I'm already there. There's no reason why this team can't compete and make it really interesting and ultimately win the AFC South for the first time since 2014. There's no, there's no reason why that can't happen. And quite frankly, I, I think this is right. I think every year since 2004 – a first-year head coach has taken his team to the playoffs. And if you look around the NFL right now, the other first-year head coaches aren't doing too well. And here's Shane Steichen building some culture and, and has some things figured out early on here with the Colts. The one thing about Steichen, Matt, that I'll say, um, again, I mean, at three games does not a season make, and it's not like I'm down there on the sidelines or in the locker room, but he does look like a guy that was ready for the moment. You know, there are certain guys that you look at on the sidelines and you go, that guy – arrows are moving too fast for that guy Shane Steichen does seem and this is a rare trait and again very 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 small body of work to go by but if I were to analyze it I would say the one thing about Shane Steichen that is most encouraging to me is he looks like a guy that is in control of the moment he doesn't look rattled and 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 there are guys Matt at, at early in their career where you can tell they're rattled if he is, he doesn't show it. And sometimes just not showing it is as important as just not being it, right? 
Well, I, I, I definitely think he's not showing it, and I think he's not showing it because he's ready. I, I agree with you. He is just when I talk to him both on and off the air and we start talking ball, he's got an answer for everything. And I mean that in a good way. Like he's not a smart aleck. Like he just has – he's got, okay, why did you do this? Or what were you looking for on this play? It's because of this. It's because of that. We knew they were going to line up in this, so we counter with that. Like he just has an answer for everything. He's a very methodical guy. He's very intelligent. And dare I say it, in most NFL rooms, he's either going to be the smartest guy or one of the smartest guys in there in terms of X's and O's and schematics. And so far, where we're seeing this is not too big for him in the sense that he's got a lot on his plate, but he's able to manage it. And, you know, he's calling the games in terms of the plays. He's managing the offense, but he's also making in-game decisions. We're already seeing that with the, I call him the Steichen staple so far with, you know, take the, the kick team off, put the offense back on and making the, you know, make the opposing coach burn a timeout. Like, I love that kind of stuff. That, that, that's just playing chess you know, within the rules of the game, if you will. Um, so I, I love the fact that, you know, Shane Steichen is a young guy, an innovative head coach. He's holding guys accountable, but he's also really, really smart, really, really crafty. And, you know, it's uh, it's it's interesting to see him operate, you know, on and off the field because you can always see the, the wheels in that head turning, always trying to get the edge schematically and, um, you know, just trying to get the, the extra 1% playbook-wise on the opponent every week. First place, Indianapolis Colts host the Los Angeles Ram Sunday, 1 o'clock start time, Lucas Oil Stadium. You can, of course, hear it right here on 93.5107.5 The Fan and on the Colts Radio Network. Coverage begins here locally at 9 a.m. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, has been our guest. Brought to you by Shell Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matey, have a great call. We'll talk to you next week. I appreciate you, boys. Yep, looking forward to it. By the way, things got a little bit awkward last night. Did you guys notice that? Was it last night or Monday night? I think it was last night, right? Last uh, night's when it appeared in my feed. Yes. I don't know if it was last night or not. Things yes, got, Wednesday night. got nights. a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit awkward. Um, and it was kind of uncomfortable to – I'm not going to say to listen to because I wouldn't want our listeners to listen to something that's uncomfortable. But when it comes to talking about Indiana football and the coaches show, um, sometimes it's fun to take you know, fan calls and questions, and then sometimes it's awkward. I'll explain. If I'm not mistaken, highest selling debut album of all time, this one, until I believe that was that has been eclipsed at least twice. Appetite for Destruction and then Cracked Rear View, I believe. And now in the download era, who knows? But it's a pretty good song though, Eddie. Nice job dialing that up. Uh, last night on... The now this would have been on Inside IU Football with Tom Allen, but that's on and I always get Wednesday nights at seven oh five on this station or WIBC. Our airwaves here, correct? Because I know the games themselves, WIBC, correct? Ninety three one, our sister station. But last night, uh, Tom Allen was doing his coach's show Inside Indiana Football with Don Fisher, who of course joins us on Mondays on this show, and they took questions from the audience, and things got a little bit uncomfortable, sir. 
Okay, my name is Harold Simpson. I'm from Bloomington, Indiana, and Coach knows I've been to shows over and over again. Coach also knows that I've not been up here ever asking a question. <laughs> so are you nervous or what? I'm nervous. I don't like being here at all because I coached football for 10 years and played seven years of semi-pro football and, of course, did my high school career. So we got I, don't, I, don't, I don't like being up here with my section, all right? is extremely unhappy and since I'm the biggest yeller in the stadium okay screamer <laughs> they are unhappy with the play calling coach all right and I'm going to tell you to a man they love you all right so my statement is it's a business and I you know and you understand what I'm saying okay because you're the coach and we love you all right but it's a business so we wanted to make that statement clear thank you now when I first heard that, my first thought, Jimmy, was are they basically is he basically saying to Tom Allen, Look, coach, we love you as a guy, but this is a business and your team's not any good. But then it dawned on me, the play calling, what he was talking about. And obviously what he's talking about there, Jimmy, I think you had the same reaction I did, right? Your initial thing was like, whoa, Tom Allen just got completely called out. And then you realize it wasn't that so much as a plea to Tom Allen to make a change, right? Yes, it, it's more geared towards, you would think, for reading tea leaves, offensive coordinator Walt Bell is who it's really geared towards. And so when he says it's a business, obviously what he's saying there is exactly that. Look, in the end, it's about winning football games. And we don't like the play calling. You know, as I had talked about last week when it comes to Tom Allen, I, I think I, I don't know Tom Allen personally. I know people who do. I've never heard anybody say anything other than he is a fine human being and, and a, a super good person. Yeah. But uh, I do think that internally there were some question marks about some of the decisions he has made at the coordinator positions and some of the assistant coaches, just in terms of changes that he's made over the years with assistant coaches and things like that. Now, um, I actually did not hear, so I apologize. I didn't hear how what, what Allen's overall reaction was to that. But when what's to me what's really interesting is it's not I mean, they won the game. Now, I'm not excusing how bad they looked and how embarrassing it was. We went over all that on Monday, but they won the game. They did. I mean, it is interesting that like you know that the ship is taking on water when people are nitpicking a win. I mean, imagine how that statement would have been in the Zips won. Oh, my Ugh. goodness. Well, they should have won, Jimmy. I mean, they missed a 32-yard field right. goal at regulation. You're right. Like, You're right. If you have a competent college and, kicker. And I think the thing that bothers people, Eddie, partially also, is the fact that the guy misses a 32-yard field goal that would yep. have beaten Indiana, and Tom Allen was running around like Jim Valvano after Lorenzo Charles dunked it to beat Houston. I mean, it's like, well, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. He was right? trying to find somebody to hug, he Jake. Was. What's the problem? I mean, he was. He was jumping on top of play. I mean, he kind of caught himself, right? I mean, it wasn't the kick the trash can all over again. Like, it'd be different if they were blocking the field goal there in that situation. I mean, they had their punter kicking the field goal because they lost trust in their actual starting kicker. I mean... Look, I mean, at this point, though, and I'm not necessarily defending it, but, like, this is who Coach Allen is. Like, it's not... It doesn't surprise me that you're going crazy after overtime happens because right. the opposing kicker missed it. I mean, that's his style. You're gimme. right. Like, it just, it's, not, it's not new. 
I'm not saying it makes it okay. And I told you on Monday. But at some point, Jimmy, you got to act like winning, you've been there before, win, right? Or, or winning cures it. If, if, if they're a winning program, if they're constantly making bowl games, if they're securing a bowl win or two, you look past it. But because it's against the Zips, because you're struggling to find six wins for this team to get back to a bowl game, it's viewed as lunacy. I, no argument. You got to act like at some point you got to act like you've been there before. That's all. Sure. Like and and to your players, you need to. Address where have they been though? The point. Where have they been? <laughs> there. You know where they are. <laughs> IU's got a fabulous school of music, right? They have a great business school as well. It, Indiana University is known for its school of music. And I don't know if you know this or not, but every Tuesdays and Thursdays from noon until two, the football team learning jazz hands and snapping properly how to sing the fight song at Indiana University. Look at Eddie. He's Indiana. There was an introduction to jazz hands class, actually. I could have taken, but I did not do I'm so. I'm telling you, that video of Tom Allen singing the fight song after the game, man, there were at least two guys in that that were thinking to themselves, why in the world did I not grab the other hat? No, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day. First, we will follow in the footsteps of Will Haskett. This for the Ryder Cup. We'll take Colin Morikawa as the top Team USA point scorer. Then for Europe, we will take Victor Hovland as their top scorer. That, of course, starts tomorrow morning, goes all through the weekend. In baseball, give me the Miami Marlins to win the money line over the New York Mets. No! We'll take the Chicago Cubs to win the money line over the Atlanta Braves. For Thursday night football, Jameer Gibbs finds the end zone, as does Amon Ross St. Brown. You get the trend. The Lions defeat the Packers. Give me the Lions oh, wait on a minute. the money line. Wait a minute. You know what that means. Dr. Motman, PBR number two of the six. Yes. What did he say? Six-game streak, right? Continues tonight. PBR number two. That's assuming he's off, right? (laughs) Yes. It was actually on a Thursday where I met Dr. Motman. That anniversary is coming up, by the way, guys. Do you send each other stuff? Uh, Actually, we're talking about the anniversary of my heart attack, by the way, when Dr. Motman had to do the angioplasty, the cath on me. Um I'm trying to think of last. I don't think last year I saw him on that date on the on the first anniversary of it. And this was his idea, which was super cool. Uh, my heart attack took place at Blind Owl at 65th and Benford, and Dr. Motman was at Community North. So about a week before the anniversary of my heart attack, which I knew the date, I didn't expect anybody else would remember it. Um, but he sent me a message and said, "Now how's this for a doctor?" He sent me a message that said, "Hey," and it was on a Friday, the one year anniversary. Sent me a message said, I don't know what you're doing on Friday, but by my estimation, it's a 4.7-mile run from Blind Owl to Community Hospital. So do you want to run together the path wow. that you took in the car? So we did. That's cool. So we met up um, on the one-year anniversary. We met at Blind Owl, he and I, and ran. We had to kind of be careful because on Benford, it's a little hectic. <laughs> Not huge side roads. but uh, What's so his official up. title? He is the... Cardiological interventionist for so, Community Health Network. So this that that very nice story undercuts my crude humor joke. So only wrong answers. What to do for the anniversary of a heart attack with your cardiologist? I imagine getting a cheeseburger together would be at the top of the list. <laughs> Is that right? Well, you know what? We've actually done the mini marathon now every year since. Wow! And uh, we've had a cold beer afterwards. I don't know if I should say that, but for what that's worth, you know. Eddie? Tell my anniversaries. Want to give a shout out to my parents. Twenty seventh anniversary today. I skipped your bets as well. I'm sorry. I know. Jeff. 
So happy anniversary to mom and dad. Love you both, and thank and you, you know for what? everything. And that comes off what I know was a tough day for you guys yesterday, right, Eddie? Yep. I had to put our uh, do- they had to put the dog down yesterday. Unfortunately, Hoagie. Yep. Fifteen. I think it was around fifteen years is what we estimate. Not really sure. He was uh, my grandma's, and then once uh, she was unable to take care of him anymore, we took him over, and we've had him for the last six ish years. It's what a tough I, day. It is. It's the worst. What I always say though is, I always say thank you for giving Hoagie his best life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because that's uh, you know I'm I'm a huge animal fan for sure. Okay, so Thursday night football tonight, uh, you will be watching. Doing I was. Did I already ask you the question about Amazon Prime if, if you start seeing more packages coming late? If you start seeing yep. what, I'm sorry? Yeah, so uh, we just had this experience, Olivia and I. She ordered some things the other day. We're supposed oh, to Amazon get Amazon packages late. That okay. night, and uh, I think we're supposed to get it last night. We got it the next morning. I, it, more often than not, when I order stuff, and I don't order a lot from Amazon. I, I'll be honest. I, I get the convenience of it, but I've never understood people like, I need paper towels. I'm going to order them from Amazon. I'm like, you right, go, you yeah. Go, it's like 10 minutes to the store, but... But more often than not, when I order stuff and I have the Prime, so usually it's that like was my next, next day question. delivery, yeah, right? Sure. And and then like you get an email like the next day that's like, sorry, there's been a delay. Your new estimated date is Tuesday. And I'm like, but wait a minute, I'm paying for a service right. that is supposed to get it to me the next day. I have yet to have that happen. Um, other than in like, you know, sporadic instances where like something gets lost, but no, not on my end it's happened to me with greater frequency and again i get the fact you know the 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 marvel of the fact that you click something on your phone and it's you know amazing very first world problem it it is it's a very first world problem but i mean if you're paying for the additional benefit of that you know by the way tonight if you are going to watch thursday night football obviously you're going to watch on amazon prime Go to the more ways to watch tab. Give Prime Vision a chance. Tell me if I'm crazy. Like I said, it shows you all the next gen stats, but also it shows it from a higher camera angle where it outlines the routes as they happen in real time. Very cool broadcasting experience. And you still get to hear Alan Kirk. So there you go. So it's basically like a like you're having John Madden doing the telestrator the whole time? Correct. But instead of a <laughs> a sometimes hard to make out telestration, it is real life That's AI cool. lines that follow the player do you remember when when they decided to do that for hockey and show the blue streak of where the puck was <laughs> and like all it did was thoroughly confuse people it didn't last long it didn't and, and in theory that was like a super good idea um but it just was too hard to find i mean literally like the, it was like you felt like it should have that disclaimer that like strobe lights can cause seizures or whatever because it was just this blue thing going all <laughs> over the ice and it was really hard to follow. John is at Ale Emporium up in Castleton. Derek's going to be there so you can stop by and at least say hi to Derek, show listener who earlier called me Nostradamus. Yeah, he did. But Derek's he re-clarified that, by the way. I know he's a great dude. Stop by, get some Hermanaki wings, listen to John, have a beer. All of it comes up next.